All right, guys, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 23 the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Bomani, here today with two special guests. Um, we got Darius, former at the Whistle Podcast host, and a friend of his that are here to talk about some basketball topics today in the NBA from the Phoenix Suns, the Eastern Conference playoffs, coaching searches, things of that nature. And uh, before I, we dive into these topics, I want these gentlemen to introduce themselves, uh, talk about who they are, um, what they've thought about the playoffs so far before we dive into these topics bit by bit. So, Darius, I'm going to let you take the floor. Well, as he said, it's Darius Barron, uh, founder of Onyx Media Group and uh, original At The Whistle uh, member, one of the founding members, man, you know, the Jackson State University. Oh, I'm uh, Justin Johnson, friend of Onyx, I guess. <laughs> who, your, who your team, Jay? In the playoffs now? No, your team, period. I don't really have one anymore. Oh, man. I guess, I guess you could say, I guess you could say, you know, I like the Clippers. I used to like Houston. Well, I still mess with Houston. I used to be an OKC fan. Always. Yeah, I was going to ask that. You still rock with the Thunder? I know Darius said that used to be your team when they were popping. Yeah. Now, nah, you know, they're in the rebuilding stage, so. They still one of my team. For sure. Uh, should I, you know, get that piece of information? Because I feel like the world should know by now who I'm rocking with. Yeah, man. Go ahead and give it. Give yeah, your favorite man. team. I am a Chicago Bull. You feel me? I am a Chicago Bull. And since we have been dying hard lately um uh when they come playoff time i just you know i want to see a feel-good team win so you know teams like phoenix um chris paul gotta get his rank i feel like you know so i root for whoever is the underdog and speaking on underdogs we're going to delve into that right now the phoenix suns they're in the in the nba finals after winning the west from the clippers it was a 42 game series they won it in six and game six was a dominant performance by Chris Paul. He scored 41 points, made seven threes, coupled with Jay Crowder, who I thought started it off playing pretty well, 19 points. He had five threes, six of 11 shooting. DeAndre Ayton finally dominated LA's small ball lineup, 16 points and 17 rebounds. And the Phoenix's big three, Ayton, Booker, Paul, all combined for 79 points. And so we've heard the narrative about the Phoenix Suns. Their playoff run, a lot of people have acquiesced it as the quote-unquote true Mickey Mouse ring because they've played teams that have been beat up. You know, the Lakers' AD was out. Um, Denver didn't have Jamal Murray. And this Clipper team didn't have Kawhi Leonard. But let's look on a positive note when we look at the Suns. How do you guys view Phoenix's playoff run? Being a team that just last year were in the lottery, and now all of a sudden they are four wins away from winning their first ever NBA championship. I mean... To me, it shows the leadership of Chris Paul and that coaching staff. Like, they, uh, Chris Paul really elevated DeAndre Aiden's game. He, uh, I'm pretty sure the coaching staff has, you know, relied on him more and told him to get more aggressive. So it's really showing, like, that whole draft class, you know, him, Trey Young, and them, how, how much those guys have really, like, developed. And I think it's only been, like, three years. Um, this playoff run, I feel like, first of all, let me address the, the whole Mickey Mouse uh, thing. It's, it's, it's kind of, 
naive, if you will, for, you know, somebody to sit up here and say that the Lakers ring don't count because it was played in a bubble. But those same people were probably saying that the bubble was some of the best basketball we've seen in this era. Uh, So to address the Phoenix Suns, is it their fault that, I mean, it kind of is because Chris Paul is the one who voted (laughs) that the season, you know, go on the schedule. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not their fault that everyone was getting injured. I mean, and if you want to keep it all the way a stack, like um, Chris Paul got injured twice. Well, once, but he also had to do the COVID protocols. And we was all saying like, oh, without Chris Paul, they really don't really stand a chance, but they proved us wrong. You know, um, I think their playoff run has been nothing short of amazing and I, for one, love it because I am anti-super team. And um, the fact that there's a possibility, a small possibility, but there's a possibility that we can have a Phoenix Suns and Atlanta Hawks playoff matchup is, it it just kind of gave me hope in the league, you know. And I agree on that sentiment as well. I want to touch base on Phoenix's run overall. I do find it hypocritical because there were people saying Lakers ring doesn't count. And then the Lakers fans and LeBron fans adamantly were like, stop it. You just play who is in front of you. We did what we had to do. We won a championship. That's what Phoenix is doing as well. And I don't think they're getting that benefit of the doubt that they deserve. But like I always say, when it comes to championships, when it's in the record books, it counts forever. So it doesn't matter what the public says about how it got, how it happened, or is it legit or is it fake? It's in the history books. 20 years from now, somebody growing up will be like, I remember Phoenix won this championship because it happened if they win it. But they've played phenomenal. And I want to give huge credit to Monty, his ability to adjust as a coach over time. I remember when he coached the Pelicans when Anthony Davis was there. I think this was Anthony Davis in his rookie contract. And how he coached that team from how he coached this Phoenix team is a lot different. There's offensive duality, defensive adjustments, just adjustments, period. And I think that's influential for Phoenix as a whole. Because he was able to give the keys to Cameron Payne throughout this postseason run and was like, here, run my second unit. Here, run this offense when Chris Paul isn't here because of COVID. And he did it very well. He also told Devin Booker or heightened Devin Booker on the importance of developing as not just a scorer, but a playmaker, doing the little things. He did that as well. And then giving DeAndre Ayton kind of that, that pat on the shoulder, like, look, on this team, you can be a number one pick that lives up to its potential. Be active, be energetic, run the floor, defend the rim, um, be able to catch the ball and finish at the basket. All of those things. And he made sure that those things happened. And this is why Phoenix is in the championship. And you're right. They're not a super team, but they are a team that was built through the draft, got themselves a veteran that could come in and kind of put things together. And that's what they were able to do. Devin Booker was drafted by him. DeAndre Aiden was drafted by him. Mikel Bridges was a draft pick. And you get Chris Paul to come in. And we all thought when Chris Paul came in, they're going to be a playoff team. We didn't think they would be an NBA Finals participant. I'm going to keep it all the way above with you. I didn't see this happening. I didn't even see the playoffs happening. When Chris Paul got there. So even after what he did in OKC, I still didn't see it happen. So I was, I'm still kind of shocked. I, I knew there was going to be a playoff team. I just didn't think they were going to be second in the second in the West. Um, you brought up Monty Williams. How, how you've been, you know, watching them since Anthony Davis was in, uh, you know. I really want to give 
kind of notice to how a lot of people don't pay attention. They only pay attention to the growth that the player makes and not so much that the coach makes. And Tom Thibodeau is one of my favorite coaches. There's not much growth. He has the same formula, you know, run his star players into the ground. You don't really, you know, but Monty Williams proved, I, I saw something, I think it was on um, one of the media outlets, no free advertisement, right? But yeah, it was on one of the media uh, outlets. Monty Williams uh, was saying that uh, with Chris Paul coming in, uh, I believe as a rookie, and this was his first time as a head coach, he was really headstrong and not willing to listen to the to the players. So, you know, over the years, he's corrected that. And then, you know, of course, Chris Paul has gotten a lot better. And now it's more of a um, open. How would what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's more of a receptive uh, relationship between the both of them. Uh, they understand they try to understand uh, where each other is coming from and, uh, you know, try to offer uh, constructive criticism. And uh, man, I, as you can see, it's working out like a charm. So it's very important that coaches and not only players, even, you know, even the front offices, they all grow over the years. So, yeah, I want to point that out. Yeah, that's that's a great thing you pointed out, because I think it's important. We always advocate for players to improve. Um, everybody's having this big debate on Ben Simmons, get a jump shot. We've been asking this for five to six years, but no one really focuses on a coach's improvement. And we always think that what a coach is from the time they came in and led a team is how they're going to always be. And I think a lot of that is because coaches have egos and they feel like, look, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to keep doing it my way until I am pushed out of the league so much that I'm unemployed. And the great coaches always adjust and they always talk to people different. They always manage their personnel game by game. They don't just come into a game and think, all right, I'm just going to go by my system from thick through thin. It doesn't matter. I think that's the biggest issue with Boone Hoser in Milwaukee. And we're going to get to that later. But we're talking about coaches adjusting. I want to give props to the losing coach, Ty Lue. And I think Ty Lue had a lot of flatback. Losing coach. Losing coach, Ty Lue. Um, he had a lot of flatback. I know for me, I was skeptical. I was like, can he really coach? It felt like LeBron was running everything. So how legit is he as a head man? And he was very legit. And I felt like the reason why they didn't win this series is two things. One of their stars never played, Kawhi Leonard. He didn't play this series. And then his other star, Paul George, was sporadic. And I felt like he, he drained everything out of the towel he could to help that Clipper team win two games, which was amazing. Um, but I think the next thing, Serge Ibaka? Serge Ibaka had the back injury um, and they came out and said he couldn't play early in the playoffs in the Dallas series. They That's established tough. that and I, they really missed a big once Zubox went out, they had really no answer for Aiden. It was just Aiden had to exert himself as the dominant force inside. And he finally did yeah. in game five and game you six. What I was saying, um, which game was that uh, Zubox uh, first game out? Was that game, was game five. Game five. Game five. Remember what I was saying after game five is that Aiden was soft, soft. <laughs> you know, uh, same thing I used to say about Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins is they were soft with a capital T at the end. You know, um, I was during that whole game five. I was I was just watching uh, Aiden play and he'd be the only big man down there. Dude, dunk the ball. <laughs> use your weight, use that muscle, use the same muscle that you would use to get 
around Zubac. It'll work even better now because these players are smaller. You know? So I don't know what was said in the locker room. I don't know what Monty Williams or Chris Paul may have said, but it worked. And I'm glad that it did because like I said, I, I want to see, I want to see all of them. It did work. Um, they went out early in the first quarter and established Aiden's presence down low by feeding him, and he scored. He has great touch around the rim. I feel like that's something that a lot of people didn't really understand about his game until the postseason. He's got great touch in the basket. He can hit the fades. He can hit the pull-up jumpers. He, he's got a game. Now, with the Clippers, Ty Lue, he did everything he could to suck out all the juice he could from that roster, um, but they didn't really perform particularly well. Uh, Marcus Morris Sr. was the leading scorer. He had 26 points. But Paul George is very underwhelming, and he's been very underwhelming all series. He had that great 41-point game in Game 5, couldn't really put in the point totals in Game 6. It just felt like two things really stood out about his game. For one, he's not a great playmaker. So when they doubled him and they had bracketeer defense around him when he drove in the lane, he'd fumble the basketball, he'd make a pass that just felt like it was near being intercepted. And he was not – he didn't pick the right opportunities to be aggressive. When he was aggressive, it felt like he was pressing. When he wasn't aggressive, it felt like he wasn't driving to the basket when he should have. He settled for jump shots. So moving forward with the Clippers, they have a big thing coming up. Kawhi Leonard, is he going to be a Clipper? I, we, we all probably think he will be. But let's say he isn't. And now they have a decision because they gave Paul George the extension. Can you build around Paul George at this point of his career? Or do you cut your losses and just rebuild from the ground up if we're bomber in the Clippers? Um, they building around Paul. Oh, go ahead. They can't even do that. They traded. They when they traded for Paul George, they gave OKC so many picks that it's going to be like they're kind of in that like Brooklyn limbo. Like, oh, the one with Boston. Yeah. After they after Brooklyn made that trade with Boston, they're kind of in that limbo because they gave so many picks away for these players that they got now. They. They're not going to have no quality picks until maybe two, three years from now. So, Building around Paul George is a tough, tough <laughs> – I wouldn't want to do it. I, I wouldn't want to be the, the head honcho who has to make this decision. Um, I, up until the recent years, Paul George's name has always been kind of um, – not always, but – closely tied to that of Jimmy Butler. Did Miami build around Jimmy Butler? I don't think so. I just think it just so happened to work out. Paul George on the Clippers with no Kawhi. Um, you need another star. Um, you, you need that, like, um, like Clint was referring to Paul George as a 2A. You need that one guy, and then Paul George is the second option, the, the first, second option. Um, but it, from the Clippers, man, signing Kawhi is kind of a toss-up. And I'm, I'm thinking that for any of the teams, you know? Any team that get Kawhi, it's always going to be a toss-up. The whole low management thing, it, it left a bad taste in my mouth personally because we don't know when you're going to pull this. I personally feel like this, that is what happened in the, in, in the playoffs, um, you know, against Phoenix, that 
maybe he did pull something, maybe. But then again, maybe he just felt a slight discomfort and maybe he could have played through it. Now, I'm not, it's not my place to say that's selfish or not, but I do know that other players, other superstar team leading players will put their personal, you know, aside and try to do, especially when you're in the Western Conference Finals. You know, so re-signing, re-signing Kawhi, that's a tough one. I don't know. I, I'm Like I said, I'm glad I don't have to make that call. But building around Paul George, I feel like it'll be easier to find an, a complimentary piece for Paul George or making him a complimentary piece for someone else. I feel like that'll be easier, a lot easier than building from the ground up. They just like, I, I don't know how they call it the stroke, stroke of luck, you know, getting rid of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and now they're even further than, you know, where they were. That doesn't happen for everybody. So you got to ride this while it's good. I think what helps the Clippers is they're in L.A. So there's that Los Angeles allure. Um, But I also think that they, the Lakers, Golden State, I call them the old guard of the NBA because they have all these players that have been products of dominance in the NBA for a five- to eight-year clip. But And they're all franchises that are trying to maintain those old guards because they feel like by maintaining them, they'll always have a championship opening. So I expect the Clippers, like the Lakers and the Warriors, Kawhi's going to come back, and they're going to run it back again. My problem is Kawhi's health, and my problem is Paul George has shown, although he improved in the postseason by playing big when he had to, he's still Paul George, which means some games he's going to give you 40, other games will give you 20 on like eight of 24 shooting. And while I agree that the slander he's been getting on social media has been extreme and a byproduct of him not going to the Lakers and LeBron stands feeling a type of way he chose Kawhi over LeBron. I also look at it as a byproduct of his inability to perform when it matters. And I just felt like for sure in game two, if he made those free throws, they win game two against Phoenix. If he plays with some level of aggression in game six, Maybe they still lose, but it's a lot closer. And so he's a guy where it comes down to how he feels. So if Paul George wakes up and he's like, man, I feel good today. And he makes a couple of shots or gets a sweet little crossover. You got him. He's going to be locked in. He's going to drop 35 to 40. If he's getting sauced up by an offensive player, he's getting clamped up a little bit on a couple of possessions. He's going to check out. Or he's going to press. And that's not the great Paul George we need. And so for the Clippers, I think it, I think their decision becomes a lot easier if Kawhi leaves. But I don't think Kawhi does leave. Because I think Kawhi wants to stay close to home. Now, if Kawhi happens to leave, I think his best option would be, I'm hearing Miami and I'm hearing Dallas. Those sound cool, I guess. But I don't know if Dallas, with their coaching situation, is the best move. I don't know if Miami is the best move because of their culture. And their culture is play. And I don't know if Jimmy and Bam and those guys are going to be looking at Kawhi like, man. You, Kawhi on either one of those teams. Right. So I think the dark horse of it all, if he's not going back to the Clippers, maybe he reconsiders Toronto. I don't know. And, and I'm just saying Toronto because of what happened, not just the championship success, but the ability for that team and that culture to just be like, Take all the time you need to be the best that we need you to be for the playoffs. But I look at Kawhi at this point in his career. He's, I think somebody compared it perfectly. 
he's in baseball like a, an elite pitcher on a pitch count. You gotta you gotta micromanage him in the regular season because you know in the playoffs he's gonna go full throttle, and that's what you need him for. But if you push him to do all these postseason, all these regular season games, his body's gonna wear down. He's not gonna come through in the playoffs. He's just not. And I think that's what hurt the Clippers. I think he low managed and he, and he messed up in the bubble. So the league and the player personnel with, within was like, dude, you gotta play to develop this team chemistry. He did, and it kind of worked, but he broke down against Utah. And I think when he comes back to the Clippers, I think L.A.'s got to be like, look, man, he just maybe may have to only play 50 to 60 games. That may not make fans happy. That may not make his teammates happy. But the ultimate goal for Ballmer when he brought these guys together was to win a championship. They've been together for two years, and they haven't even made a finals. So if they don't win a championship, it's a failure. And I think they got to be looking at it like that. So prioritize your best player's health in the regular season. So in the playoffs, he could be fully 100%. Um, if they don't win a championship, I it's kind of hard for me to call it a failure, uh, seeing as they made it to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, it kind of saves their skin that the Clippers have never made it that far in the first place. So that, you know, that kind of helps. But um, – like my biggest thing is with Kawhi. Um, why are you breaking down so easily and so much? Why is it that we're paying you all this money, but you can't, you're not available? Um, that's just like you said, it's it's not gonna be popular for the fans, it's not gonna be you know, favorable for the fans, but it will be favorable when they make a deep playoff run. But that's not going to happen if he's injured. Um, And what you were saying is it just reminded me of his, you know, when the low management thing started in San Antonio, and, and I believe Pops had a problem with it. I get it. What is low management? Either you play or you don't. You know, if you're not going to play, then why are you on the team? I mean, but Pop started the whole low management, but he did. Pop said he only did that for his older players. Now that well, I mean, is, yeah. By the time Kawhi got there, when Timmy right, and you, right. come on, man, Timmy was those, like fifty nine. Those older players, but he did what he was also doing that for Kawhi as well. It probably something they knew that you know everybody else. He probably Kawhi probably just you know got glass bones. Who knows? Um. Maybe it's the pace of the game. It is. I think it's the the pace. I think it's the pace. I think it's how they rehabilitate in the offseason. We hear, you know, LeBron spends a million dollars on his body. And we're like, wow, that's crazy. Mainly because he's the only one that documents this. But we also have the track record of LeBron's health up until his tenure with the Lakers. He does take care of his body because he doesn't break down as much when it matters in the playoffs. And so I think with Kawhi and we can say this about AD, I think guys need to start talking about what he needs to improve on in the off season to make sure he's at tip top shape to be available in the playoffs. Because I think a lot of guys, they get it wrong. I think in the off season, they're like, let's just work on my game and maybe some core and that's it. Not yoga matters. Your lower extremities matter because those, when those go, uh, 
you're not going to be able to play at the high octane level because basketball is about running up and down. So I think that's the biggest thing with Kawhi, you know, being able to protect himself moving forward. And he's going to have to find creative ways in the offseason to do that. But I think for the Clippers, it's a lot easy. If he doesn't come back, I think you trade Paul and I think you rebuild from there personally. Um, yeah, I just the the Clippers is a is a whole situation. It's it's a uh, to keep it clean. It's a uh, rather unfavorable situation <laughs> to keep it clean. Um, I, if you were the GM, what would you do? Because Paul George, too, I was thinking about the question: um, How do you build a? Uh, how do you build around Paul George? Well, I'm thinking Paul George may be the Kobe type. He doesn't need a a, a guard or a forward to pair with him. Maybe he needs a center or power forward. You see what I'm saying? Kobe has Shaq, and they flourished. Then Kobe got Gasol, and they flourished. Paul George, we've seen him with Westbrook. Uh, when when he was in Indiana, he had Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert was sort of a big name, uh, and David West was being referred to as sort of a, a good uh, power forward. But neither one of those guys showed up and showed out. I feel like what Pascal Siakam offered Toronto uh, during, you know, the championship run, that will be perfect to pair Paul George with. Uh, I'm starting to think that maybe you could do away with, with, with Kawhi. This whole low management thing, you know, everybody talks about, you know, uh, Kyrie and uh, James Harden and how they miss games uh, questionably, you know, but in which I, I mean, I, I got to admit, you missing games because your sister's birthday party. That's that's a bad look. But Kawhi is just, it's like he's getting away with it. He's doing the same thing, but he's getting away with it. And I don't think that's fair. And eventually, I feel like his, because he's getting older, I feel like his, um, his stock is going to go down. You know, um, maybe he's going to ask for uh, uh, X amount of dollars and the answer is going to be no. You know, it's not going to always be available for Kawhi Leonard. But uh, like I was telling y'all the other day, I, I have to appreciate the fact that Paul George is there. I have to appreciate that even when things get tough, he's the number one guy in the press conference answering questions. He's the one, you know, taking all of the all of the rocks and bottles from the crowd, from the fans. And, you know, even though uh, this play and that play didn't play well, put it all on me. So that's what. That's what Paul George, uh, that's that's why I'm really starting to respect him. I've never really had a problem with Paul George. It's just he's 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 gained a lot of uh he's gained a lot of respect from me. Um this this playoff run. Uh one thing one thing that I think people need to realize, Paul George, when you think about Paul George, it's like his game really went down out there. And it's because of his, his that major injury he had back when he was, uh, what was that? I think that was the Olympics he got hurt like that. But did that it major? though? Yeah, think about it. When I mean, he, Paul George was the best player on that Indiana Pacers team that went to the Eastern Conference. That's, what, that's when his prime started. He would have been a superstar probably if he never would have got that injury. 
That was when his prime started. His prime failed right after that injury because that's when he started losing. Like, they were losing more in Indiana when he finally got back. That's when he got traded to OKC. People saw that he came up with a playoff P and he wasn't that. Then he went to, you know, the Clippers and you're not that guy. You got, you're not the superstar that you should have, that probably should have been if it wasn't for that injury. The yeah, way I see it, I don't that injury took explosiveness away. And yeah, it's a part of his game, but it was also a part of Derrick Rose's game. And you see Derrick Rose is still, you know, giving people buckets. Paul George is still able to get, I mean, he's not dunking on people like like that no more, but and that's that's perfectly fine with me. You know, I mean, a, a bucket is a bucket, <laughs> you know. Um, it's just, you know, how you serve it, but that's, that's all that injury did in my eyes. It took away his explosiveness and he actually took that like a champ, you know, it's, he didn't, he didn't let that roadblock block him for too long because it's, you know, those kind of injuries become a mental thing more than physical. So I guess you're right. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, if you go back and look at his, I don't, I, I'm not sure on this fact, but I mean, if you go back and look at his Indiana stats and then go look at his after after that injury, you'll probably see his. That's you'll not. Probably, you'll probably see his game like his numbers drop. That's not fair, uh, because Indiana, he was the guy. You had um, uh, George Hill, Paul George, Lance Stevenson, David West, and um, uh, Roy Hibbert, and then OKC, you had Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, so Stephen he, Adams. So, why couldn't he been? Why couldn't he have been the guy for those teams if he was the guy for Indiana? Because look at the names, listen to the names. I hear what you're saying, but I'm saying if he was already the guy, he should have that never should have changed. That means I can always you can always come to me, and I'm still that guy. So, look at it like this. Look at what Kevin Love was doing in Minnesota before he went to Cleveland. Right? Yeah, that's a little, that's a okay, little different. Chris Bosch. What was Chris Bosch doing in Toronto before he went to Miami? Uh, that's, again, a little different. And I'm going to say they're both different because coming into those situations, there was no arguable case you could make that they would be the best players in those situations. LeBron was the guy. And LeBron played a huge part in their numbers taking a, a substantial nosedive because – LeBron was a primary ball handler that needed the lane to be successful. That's kind of the issue where issue Dallas is having with Porzingis. Luca is the primary oh, ball handler Porzingis that needs the lane to be successful. Fire. So I think I'll say this about Paul George. His athleticism took a huge step back with from the injury. And I think that played a huge part in his superstar ceiling being achieved because when he came back, he made his game a lot more cerebral, a lot more smooth a lot more jump shot oriented and it's and it looks beautiful especially when he's in a zone but imagine that coupled with athleticism that never left now George's game is a lot different and a lot more dynamic and that probably plays a huge part in Indiana beating Toronto who they went to seven games within the first round in his last few playoff series where he was the guy with George Hill CJ Watts and those people um oh. Don't right. Say that <laughs> so they went seven. And so now you have an athletic Paul George that's smooth and can hit jumpers, but he can also blow by you and dunk on you. 
that, that translates to postseason success. So we never got full degree Paul George like we would have, but we got a guy that didn't fall off the cliff. Like he could still play. It's just I think if they want to build around Paul George, if that's their decision, you need a point guard and you need a center. I say you need a point guard because I don't think you could get by with Paul George being the primary decision maker because his handles are very suspect and he's not a great passer. So you need somebody else that can relegate those offensive duties for the team. And you need a big guy because Paul George, like we just said, because his athleticism has subsided, he no longer dominates the lane like most wings do in this game. He's more of a jump shooter from deep and mid-range extraordinaire. So you need somebody at the five that could kind of utilize the paint to his advantage to score. And it doesn't have to be um, an Embiid. It could be a Miles Turner. Well, not a Miles Turner because he kind of space for it. It could be a Sabonis. They can't get Sabonis, but it could be a Sabonis type player. So that's what they could do. But, you know, I think what the Clippers are probably going to do is they're going to run it back because Kawhi going to come back. They're going to give whatever Kawhi wants, contrary to what Darius believes they should do. And you just going to have to hope he doesn't get hurt again. And that's going to be tough because he's shown throughout his career. I saw the Toronto because that Toronto run, he was really broke up there, too. But his legacy was on the line like he had to play because they were throwing dirt on his name. And he acknowledged that when he won. Like, man, people doubted the process and I'm here. I don't know if he's going to be under that scrutiny to where he feels like that. But we'll see. (laughs) He got lucky. He only said that because don't get me wrong, it, it's kind of true because of Durant and Clayton never got hurt. They definitely was not gonna yeah. they're not gonna lose to Toronto. I feel like the only person that's that's gonna say this, yes, I agree. If Durant was there, they not winning in the finals. If Durant's winning, if Durant's there, they're not winning the finals. I agree. But I, I at the bottom of my heart feel like okay, if Clay doesn't get hurt, they maybe win game six. They're not winning game seven, bro. Because I just felt like at that point, uh, they figured out Curry with the boxing one. Draymond was getting cooked by Siak. <laughs> they had no answer for anybody else on Toronto. Like they couldn't stop anybody. Draymond and Garciak in the first place, though. Well, to be fair, coming into that series, we thought, what? I know I did. Yeah, Draymond kind of. Because I was the only one that realized Siakam's offensive game is pretty limited, but he was that limitation offensively, he was able to utilize to his success. Because all the attention was to Kawhi. Kyle Lowry, contrary to popular belief, when he's on, isn't a slouch. So, and Gasol was still doing his thing as well. So, and Van Vliet coming off the bench was giving you production too. So, it allows Siakam with his spin. That's who Paul George needs. Is a Van Vliet. That that would not be That's who he needs to run point. Right, I um, agree. Yeah. I was was thinking uh, Philly. Yeah, Reggie Jackson did a hell of a job. Don't get me exactly. Wrong. He did. Um, but if okay, so I was thinking Paul George can flourish in Philadelphia because okay. they have Seth Curry and Joel Embiid. Right. Uh, I mean, we do away with Ben Simmons. Yeah, for sure. Trade that—that's a possible trade. Now, I don't—I I don't get into possible trades because I don't—I don't even like seeing them on social media. I'm just, I'm just saying, and that with that kind of team, he, I feel like he can really be who he wants to be. Joel Embiid is taking care of things because he's a dominant center, and you got somebody like Seth Curry who is, is a great shooter, you know, and he can create a shot for himself. So you get Paul George somewhere in the middle, either the two or the three, and Presto, you know, you got you got you a a, a good 
I ain't gonna say big three, but you got a big two in a. I don't know if Seth Curry can run the point like that, but mm, Philly a is a solid chance. option. Philly is a solid option. I think uh, Toronto wouldn't be a bad option either if they saw their five-spot situation either. But I do think Paul George is at a point of his career where he's not – I don't think he's going to leave unless a franchise trades him. So, I, I, and I think I've, I've felt that vibe really ever since Indiana dealt him. Because That's I, where he's from though, right? Yeah, he's from the, the California region, Palmdale, all that. Yeah. Oh, he at home. He chilling. Right. But I also felt like he had no problem staying in trash Indiana if they paid him. I don't think he he was going to leave Oklahoma City until they traded him. He extended. Um, and I don't think he's going to leave the Clippers either, especially since he's been paid. Thank George. He just needs security and security matters through payment. And then the coaching staff believing in him, he can get stuff done. He's got that in L.A. So unless the Clippers just blow it up and they deal him somewhere else. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Now, we're going to delve into the Eastern Conference Finals. Milwaukee dusted up on Atlanta. But it, that was a really weird game because early on, Milwaukee came out with all the juice, all the energy. They were defending. Drew Holiday and Middleton were very aggressive. They were up by double digits. But I did some math. After the first quarter, they were up 36-22. Atlanta outscored them 90-87 to 87 the rest of the way. But... Bucks win by 10. A lot of that has to do with Brooke Lopez dominating Clint Capella, who probably had no business being out there. He looked clearly compromised after he got hit in the face. He only had like eight rebounds and six points. Um, they win by 10. So, you guys, the biggest question is this. It's pretty clear when Milwaukee applies themselves and don't play stupid. They're better than Atlanta without Trey Young. So, since Trey Young coming back doesn't seem likely after in game five, he was warming up and he was in excruciating pain when he just went to plant his foot to go up for a floater. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to play in game six. Is there any way Atlanta can win this series in your eyes without Trey Young? Absolutely not. Uh, I was actually telling him we, we have been going back and forth for the past uh, whatever days. Did I say it? Go ahead. It's not the fact of it's the fact okay, it's the fact that you keep saying Chris Middleton is some type of great player and he's not. If Trey Young was if Trey Young is there, cap. they're going to beat them without Giannis. Super cap. Doug Democat. You feel me? <laughs> they're going to beat them without Giannis. No. The only reason Atlanta is losing or did lose that last game is simply because Trey Young didn't play. Now, without that's all they need is Trey Young. That's all they need. There's nothing else. Nothing Chris They need Clint Capella too. Uh, but Trey Young would help Trey Young so good that he would help those. He makes those other players better around him on that certain line. Yes, that's fine. But even without Giannis, the Bucks from top to bottom is a better team. They are Milwaukee. They are a better team. Milwaukee just plays. They they remind me of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before Brady. And even when they got Brady, they do this occasionally as well. They're a dumb team. I think a lot of them being a dumb, a team, dumb team. They're a dumb team. And I think a lot of them have a lot of them being idiots is because Budenholzer has his system. That he wants to run every time, no matter what type of opponent they play, 
what type of in-game stuff that we see, which is they're bigger than literally most everybody that they play outside of maybe Philly. Dominated like, um, size. Like Indiana was when Paul George was there. Right. They actually now, utilized that size. Utilized. So it makes sense to play inside out. They play outside in. <laughs> so I don't and, – and they jack up threes at such a high rate that it allows teams to get back in the basketball game because newsflash, Milwaukee's not a great three-point shooting team. They have Middleton, who's more of a better score than he is shooter. Holiday is a more of a better score than he is shooter. But those guys jack it up at an elite clip. And finally, they let Brooke Lopez play in the paint, which he was dominant at doing when he was playing for the Brooklyn Nets. And so they just did pick and roll with Brooke Lopez all game. And Atlanta had no answer because Capella just wasn't healthy. He didn't want to go in there and dust up because he wasn't trying to get hit in the face again. So <laughs> I'm, just being, I'm just being real. So basically, so he's compromised. So now with your only center out there compromised, they're basically small. However, because Milwaukee is not a smart team, they started doing what? They got a big lead. Let's jack up the threes. And they missed them and missed them and missed them. And then all of a sudden, Atlanta's down like seven early part of the third. Then they go back inside. They go up by like 16. Then they jack up a whole bunch of threes. It's like down the So I think Atlanta, I think you guys are both right. They need Trey Young to win because Trey Young allows their offense to get quality shots in the half court. Because you saw early in the first quarter, it was it was early in the shot clock. They swing the ball around a little bit on the perimeter, and then they just jack it up. There was no type of pick and roll. There was no type of floater, no types of cuts to the basket. Lou Will, who did a fabulous job in game four, game, game four running the offense, had more turnovers, six, than assists, five. So that's what they need moving forward, I think, in the offseason. They need another ball handler that could come in off the bench that can run that that can run the offense because without it they're they're like a chicken with their head cut off and they're only staying alive in these series because Milwaukee doesn't have that consistent defensive intensity throughout and then offensively they don't have a point guard either so when the pick and roll action isn't there they just jack up a three and I don't think that's healthy basketball moving forward for them so yeah Darius is right talented roster by far. But as they go to the finals against Phoenix, if they get there, I think their idiot idioticness is going to limit them against a Phoenix team where they got a point guard, they got a coach that adjusts to the tempo of the game, and they're going to get crushed because of that because you can't turn it on and off against Phoenix. You can't. You got to be steady with them throughout, and they're not a steady team. They haven't been against Atlanta. That's why Atlanta's won two games because of that. Um. Yeah, he really did just kind of break it down. <laughs> uh, in terms of Milwaukee, um, you know, you said that they play uh, outside in. Uh, that is very, very idiotic. Um, but I understand. I ain't going to say I understand why, but it's because of Giannis. I feel like if they did not have Giannis as that, you know, take two steps from half court and be at the cup, you know, <laughs> I don't think that outside in will be a, a thing for them uh, primarily because they have scores and not shooters. Uh, when you look at most of the personnel on uh, Milwaukee, yes, they can knock down a three. You got uh, the, I mean, the only person I could think of that really cannot knock down a three is Giannis. That's why, that's why their system is like that. Their, their system is mostly around Giannis 
simply because of how good he is at going to the basket. That's really what Philly was trying to do with Ben Simmons. It's just Simmons is not aggressive like Giannis is. But that's it's it's kind of bad because you shouldn't have to rely on Giannis driving to the cup, right? It, just, it was I, I forgot which game that it was. Up the floor for them, like Giannis is able to. If everybody's going five out, Giannis at the top. All he has to do is be his defender, who's nine out of ten has to be a slower big man. Right. If I can beat him off the dribble and get two points easily, or kick it to one of these defenders, one of my uh, outside shooters, when the defender comes help, then. Or how about a, we just foul system. him and send him to the line where he's going to get a violation? <laughs> but you know what I call that? I call that the LeBron effect and the Popovich effect. Yeah. Let's go on the LeBron effect. The LeBron effect is when LeBron came in and dominated as a phenom, everybody was like, wow, look at that guy, LeBron. We want some LeBrons too. So any guy that's 6'11 with a nice handle, let's make him LeBron. Let's have him be the point guard of our team, have him drive and kick, and then play like that. Get us a LeBron caliber player, Giannis Simmons. You have him as the primary ball handler and decision maker. Get guys that can shoot and then let our tall freak of nature dictate the flow of our half-court offense. The problem is LeBron James was born out of the womb a great passer. Giannis isn't a great passer like that, in my opinion. Now, Jason Kidd, was he gets props for this. He made Milwaukee realize if we put the ball in Giannis's hands, our offense is going to open up and we're going to be a successful team, and that worked. But we started to realize Giannis, in my opinion, is more of a Kevin Garnett to White Howard hybrid than a than a LeBron James hybrid, which means he's more effective when his back is near the basket or to the basket. That's, well, what that's, I was, um, that's what I was about to say. It, I, I can't remember which game that was during this series. Uh, when they they he was primarily playing on the inside, and he was giving them man, he was giving them uh, buckets. That might have that might have been game anything. three. That might have been game three. He was killing them. Inside, yeah. He guys went away from that back to the basket type of basketball because it's slower pace. That's why that's why the league is so oh drive drive heavy and, and three heavy, right? Mostly three heavy. So because that's the that's the quicker the words have shown that that's a that's a quick way of scoring, especially if you can do it at an elite level. That's why all that's why most teams mostly three now. It's really not that many back to the basket. Players. That's what's wrong with that's what's kind of the problem with big men. You're not a Monday big man. You have to be, you know, super athletic and super strong. Otherwise, you're not going to have a good career. So it sounds like the league want all of the teams to adapt to the Dan Tony way of play. Because- I'm not going to say Dan Tony. I'll say it's a mixture of Popovich, what he implemented in the early part of last decade, and the Splash Brothers. And I, but here's the problem. For those offensive systems to work, you need personnel. If you don't have the personnel, develop your own to be successful, to win a to win a playoff series, to win a championship. And we're in a unique part of this era where, like you said, big men are, are extinct. That's what a lot of people have said. This could be the era where the big man comes back, which is why Jokic won the MVP because, yeah, he spreads the floor, but primarily he bangs down low and abuses his mismatch in the paint. Giannis... And right, Aiden. and be Aiden, Giannis, Giannis and those guys, they beat Brooklyn because primarily throughout that series, he was inside. He was inside. He, after game two where he was doing the three-point air balls and they lost by 30, Boonehold was like, okay, we're going to lose this series if we play like Brooklyn, which is up-tempo and just jack it up. We're not going to win. 
So what I'm going to do is we're going to still jack them up. But when we need to establish our imprint on a game, we're going inside. And that's either Giannis drives to the basket or we give it to him on the block. And they wore Jeff Green and Blake Griffin down to the point where they would get fouled out or in foul trouble, and that's how they beat them. They, they took Atlanta as a joke because I guess they thought, well, we can play how we usually play in the regular season because outside of Trey Young, go shoot with us. And then all of a sudden, Bogdanovich has a game. He's starting to resurface. Danilo, he's doing some good things. John Collins hit a couple of clutch threes to win game one. And now you got a dog fighting. So that's on Bud. He came in off of the Popovich tree like, I'm going to do like my uh, like my forefather has done. But the problem is you don't have personnel like San Antonio did. San Antonio had Manu, Tony, uh, Patty. They had guys that could drive, kick, and splash. You don't have those guys. But what you do have is mid-range assassins and a force of nature that's a Garnett-Howard hybrid where you can play out, inside, out to allow wide-open three-point shot opportunities to take. And so, you know, if they win this championship, it's really going to be based upon they just had a better roster. I, I don't – they're not a smart team. They don't play very well when it comes to adjusting on the fly. And then to make it worse, their intensity level – it's not good. Like they came out of game, they came out in game four, like we got them. When if you thought about game three, the only reason why you won game three was because Middleton took over. As as dominant as Giannis was in the first half, Atlanta was still hanging around. Trey Young doesn't get hurt. Who took over? Chris Middleton. <laughs> so so Trey Young doesn't get hurt. Thank you. That's a different story. So Milwaukee and Drew Holiday attest to it. He said, we didn't take him serious in game four. We thought we could just walk in and do whatever. Then you could say the same thing in game five. After the first quarter, it was like, all right, we got them. And then they hanging around. So I don't know, man. Like, they should beat them. But I wouldn't be surprised in game six when Milwaukee comes out like, we got this. And then Atlanta dust them. And now it's a best of one. And, you know, we know about game sevens. Like, that's when I go home. Anything can happen. So just interested to see there. I really feel like um, somehow the front office in Milwaukee has extended their championship window. But if they do not get a championship this year, that window is closed. It's done. It's a done deal. I don't. Yeah, I agree. It reminds me a little bit of. Remember when Portland made that run to the conference finals and they got swept by the Warriors? It reminds me of that. It's like you're very fortunate during your playoff run to have a chance to make a championship. And Portland had a great chance because guess who was hurt? Durant. So you're just going against the old Warriors from back in the day. The problem is those Warriors back in the day used to cook the Blazers too. So it, it didn't really do anything. They got swept. And also, I know you had your problems with, uh, what's his name, Terry Stotts. Yeah, the way they play it's, your turn, my turn, basketball, their backcourt. That never works long-term, but it, it didn't really work for Portland because, you know, it worked for the Thunder because Durant was a scoring god. And Westbrook was, yeah, and Westbrook was so athletic that you could do that and you could be a trash team in the first round. You could be the San Antonio team that got older, but eventually when you play a team that has defensive adjustments, uh, continuity, they're going to say, you know what? We're going to bracket Durant like Westbrook just take jumpers because he can't do it continuously. You're going to lose. You know, the thing about the Blazers is I like Lillard a lot. But Lillard, he's not Steph Curry. So it's not like 
if he continues to take step back long bombs, that eventually that's going to add up and you're going to lose. He can go cold, which he's shown throughout the playoff series. And then McCollum is sporadic as well. And they're both the same. You know, they both need the basketball to be successful. None of them are very good spot-up shooters. And they completely neglect everybody else on the floor. Um, Lillard don't pass. McCollum don't pass. So Nurkic is just like, yo, I got game two. I'm just out here. And that's why they always lose, lose, and lose. We're going to get to that later. But um, with the Bucks, they have a talented roster. It's just their coaching acumen and whatnot. It's just allowed them to just constrict their own selves. But their window this year is going to be extended. Budenholzer is going to keep his job if they win a championship. I think if they don't win a championship, he's going. I think if they win a championship, they should still fire him because he's made this championship run so difficult. He's made it so difficult. Brooklyn should have been beaten six as soon as Kyrie got hurt. Um, and Hawks should be beaten five. Ideal coach for Milwaukee. I think ideal coach for Milwaukee would be Kenny Atchison. He used to coach that Brooklyn team before they got Durant and uh, Irving. Um, Lionel Hollins, I know this name is ancient, but he used to be a part of those grit and grind Memphis Grizzly teams where they played inside out. You need a guy that can come in and just be like, you know what, we're tall. Well, you know what, this is my roster. Right, we're a big team. We're going to bully teams. And then we're going to use Middleton and Holiday, depending on the matchup, as spot-up shooters. But we're also going to allow them to participate in the bully ball um, aspect of our identity because Middleton's great in the mid-range and in the post. And Holiday has a nice post game as well. You need somebody that can come in and utilize the roster to their advantage. They should be inside out, not outside. And you don't need a guy coming in like, well, we're going to add some, you know, I'm going to go with the pace of the new NBA. No, you just need, you probably need a guy that has, man, Thibodeau probably would have been solid for this team, you know, because he would have been like, oh, all right. Defense would have went crazy. <laughs> defense would have been crazy. And then offensively, you would have been like, we're just going to bully these guys. They can't match and up with us. Definitely would have been playing a four. Right, a traditional four spot. Exactly, and with Tibbs coaching that team, they dispatch Brooklyn with ease, especially with Irvin not there. And Hawks probably don't win a game. I mean, I'm just being honest. And so that's what they need. They need an old age type coach who's been around the block when the NBA was more interior based pass to but bring an identity now. Are, uh, remember the the issues that Tibbs was having in uh, in Minnesota? Those coaches are too hard uh too headstrong for for the players now you know a lot of the players are, are soft and they can't take that um that way of coaching but here's the thing about milwaukee though that makes them unique and i understand your perspective Giannis gives the energy like he cool with how he's coached so if a guy comes in and is like Giannis, i need you to do this for us to be successful He's a humble guy that wants to win. He'll take that. Middleton and Holiday don't give the, the energy like, I ain't going to listen to what the coach say. Holiday's a consummate professional, and Middleton is a consummate professional. So you could get a guy in there that was coaching, you know, during the heat of the last decade where it was all about the big man and whatnot, you know, in the early 2000s, and that could work. But I don't think Budenhoser can because he's stuck in his ways. See, it would be different if he had his – you know, five men out, Giannis run the, and he adjusted over time. He doesn't adjust at all. So you need somebody in there that is going to utilize this. A lot this. of coaches have shown that they can't adjust. Right. Question. Okay. How much adjustment has Bud shown? Okay. 
from his Atlanta days? Not a lot, but I will say this. I gave him credit in the Miami and Brooklyn series for utilizing Giannis inside more because we all realize, you know, Giannis is not LeBron. He's not a point forward. So he probably needs to be closer to the basket as much as possible. Play him like KG in Minnesota. Play him like Dwight in Orlando. And you're going to get a lot of great things to happen successfully. Because unlike those Minnesota and Orlando teams, you got guys on the wing that can put the ball on the floor and do some damage too. And Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Um, they did that against Miami. I think just against Miami, they were just, they built their roster to beat Miami because that's the team that bounced them. So you get Holiday and then you say, you know what, Giannis, you playing in the post. We're not going to let Miami get away with bracketeering you in the paint and you got to bring it up on, on the perimeter. We're not going to do that. And they dusted Miami. Brooklyn, out of respect, because it was, I'm just, I'm just being real. Out of respect for Brooklyn, after they got waxed in the first two games, they were like, okay, we're going to take the Miami approach. We're going to play inside. And if the threes are there, we'll take them. If not, we're going to ride Giannis on the block. He dominated down the stretch. Middleton was great when it mattered at home. And then he was clutched down the stretch in the mid-range. They beat him. They did not respect Atlanta at all. So they came out and played exactly how they used to play early in Bud's tenure. And that's how Atlanta stole two games. Because they'd be playing that Giannis bring the ball up and just go through a wall. But, you know, Giannis isn't the most skilled to combat that wall with a mid-range. So what is he doing? Running through people. And that ain't going to work long-term because eventually he's going to get in foul trouble or he's going to get hurt like he did, you know, in game four. So it's just if you had a guy that made Giannis play near the basket 80% of the time and then had the perimeter players acquiesce to his productivity and allowed him to get easy baskets off of that, they'd be fine. And because the defensive capabilities are there. Giannis is long, great help side defender. We know what Holiday brings to the table. I did know Middleton was that underrated of a defender. He can get after it, too. He was giving Durant some type of resistance. Not great, but some. So the personnel is there for them to be one of the greater two-way teams in all the basketball. I was telling this to Clem. They remind me a lot of the Boston Celtics when Doc was coaching them. When they had KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Rondo because they're a tough-nosed team that has the ability to, with proper coaching, be able to live up to their ceiling. They just aren't because of improper coaching. Now, the next topic we're going to delve into is the Blazers. They're a team that just got Chauncey Billups hired as their head coach. He had his whole sexual assault case. Put on the magnifying glass. I didn't even know it existed. And a lot Wait of the, the trailblazers. Wait a minute. Wait, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah 97, him, Ron Mercer, uh, and another guy assaulted a woman, supposedly, at Antoine Walker's house. They were, this was all when they were playing for the Boston Celtics. And they settled out of court. So settlement is gone. Like, it is what it is. 97 as in 1997? 1997. So... That resurfaced, and I ain't know none about this. That resurfaced at the press conference. Blazer fan base felt a type of way about it. They also felt a type of way about Jason Kidd being a part of the search because Kidd beat up his wife back in the day when he played. I did hear about that. So, um, life before, uh, life before social media, I guess. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was before social media. From the from the discussion of, going to... but right. Kidd just got picked up somewhere else, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's with the Dallas Blazers Mavericks. Fans. Yeah. Well, yeah, Blazer fans for the top way about that. Where are they finding this information? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> who's, who's back? Who's backlogging this from 1997? It was, Ooh, I was four. Think about it. That's just like that Shaq thing. I was like, who's And also, the fact of the matter is, the fact that just been out here and we just finding out about this. Somebody did have to do their research to backlog. But anyway, Blazer fans felt a type of way about it. And, you know, Blazers front office had to basically do, I call it defense mechanism. They had to justify why they hired him. So they said they vetted the case, felt like the case was what it was. It was solid. So Chauncey, get the job. So all that being said, he's the coach and he's the HC. And the big question is, is he going to be enough for the Blazers really to get out the West? Because according to what Ostertag, I think that's his name, said, uh, the G, the the manager, he was like, Damian Little was a part of the process to talk with Kid. We all know you want a kid. And he was also part of that Zoom meeting with Billups before he got hired. So Billups is a Lillard hire. Do you feel like acquiescing a head coach for your star player is the move? And then moving forward, is he going to be enough to bring the Blazers out of the West? Because Dame is getting restless. Dame is finally realizing after all that, I'm loyal to the soil talk don't matter because as great, at, the greater you become as a player, the more people are going to be like, okay, where's that ring at though? Is that going to be enough to help Dame get his first championship? That and the greater you are as a player, the more you start to realize the talent drop off between you and your teammates. Exactly. So I'm, I'm sure Damian Lillard be on the bench looking like, what the hell are y'all doing? That's you couldn't, you couldn't hit that shot. It's the simple fact Damian Lillard hasn't had a, another All Star on his team since Marcus Allen. McCollum hasn't been an All Star. McCollum is well deserving of an All Star though. McCollum's an All Star. He's All Star he talent he though. Gets, like, think about it. if you put him on either side of the bracket, if you put him on the East or you put him on the or you put him on the West, he's going to get bought out by that small. I mean, that shooting guard, small point guard. Ain't nobody gonna pick him over that's, the people that's already. Uh, if he was in the East, he get in the All Star game for sure. I I like McCollum. I just feel like he's not a great match with Lillard because they're the same player. And I know a lot of people were they were looking they were looking for that that Splash Brother type backcourt. Here's the thing though, um, Clay works with Curry because Clay don't need the ball to be successful. Like he doesn't need the ball in his hands to create his own offense. He can run off of a scr- a, a screen, cut back door get it in the post and just one dribble boom McCollum needs the ball to be productive and I think the only way that backcourt would have worked is if one of those guys would have to take a step back not as a player but as a primary ball handler that probably had to be McCollum so McCollum would have to be more of a Rip Hamilton Clay Thompson type player for that to work offensively he's not so it's like him and Lillard just taking turns and that stagnates the offense because Guess who's missing out? Robert Covington was on that team. I'm not saying Robert Covington's all world, but he's his three point opportunity. Yeah, he's a great shooter. So he's not his three point opportunity getting cut in half because y'all dominating the ball. Yusuf Nurkic, who is a, a hell of a scorer. Score so. right. Yus Yusuf Nurkic can play. Like he needs touches too. He's still over there. He is, but you know, Canner. Yeah, Canner. I mean, that's uh, like his that's greatest skill is trash talking. That's the that's yeah. the problem with it. 
That's why their defense is not so good because they had to actually build. Say what? Oh, oh, uh, uh, that's why that didn't really work because their mellow and Cantor's defense is horrible. So you can't have yeah. those two on the floor at the same time. That plays a huge part. Your defense took a supreme step back. They're not never were a great defensive team. Yeah, and Lillard and them is not Lillard and McCullen are not too. Basically, the defense. That's why they grab Covington because the defense on that team is not really all that. Everybody is like mediocre defenders. And I agree with that. But when your defense isn't that good, that means offensively you really have to maximize every possession. Like Brooklyn. and they don't. So they. Trade turns, and it goes back to the point I made about your turn, my turn, hero basketball. Never works. However, if we're going to play that card in this era, the closest it ever works was with OKC because Durant was top two, and Westbrook was the most athletic point guard outside of Derrick Rose in the league. So, boom, it was able to work. And then also, one was in the front court, and one was in the back court. So they were able to play, you know, pick and roll. Like, I right, pick and roll with me, Durant, boom, boom, boom. It's hard to do pick and roll with two guards. Like, it, it just is, like, especially miniature guards at that. So, I just feel like Stotts did them a huge disservice. And then by just not holding their guards accountable in terms of being like, look, man, you have to adjust. Lillard, you have to be more of a playmaker. McCollum, you're going to have to be playing more off the ball for us to be successful. None of that happened. And now Lillard realizes, like, man, this roster ain't it, which is why we've been hearing. They've been advocating for Draymond Green to be on the team. I don't think that's going to happen. I think personally, in my opinion, if they really want to take the next step, I would consider probably getting Ben Simmons and allowing Ben Simmons maybe to be the primary ball handler and allowing Lily to play a little bit off the ball. Why would you wish that on Portland? Say what? Why would you wish that, you on, wish Portland? that on Portland? See, it's, but it's tough because it sounds ludicrous. But we can all agree what they have now is not enough. I don't even think Chauncey Billups coming in is enough. But I will say this though about what their roster. Billups have what? What does he bring to the to the coaching staff? What kind of mentality does he bring to the coaching staff? Well, for starters, he'll be Lillard's guy because that's who Lillard wanted. So, but Lillard isn't the one that needs the the extra push. He's motivated. He has the skill. Right. CJ but, has the skill. I don't know where CJ's motivation is. But it's everyone else. You How need, do you what 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 did you say? We were having a conversation about Terry Stotts. What did you say was Terry Stotts' biggest uh problem as a coach? I always feel like Stotts' biggest issue as a coach was adjustments, right? Adjustments. And he kept he placated to his backcourt too much. It was like, these are my best players. So I want to just rock with what makes them feel comfortable as players. And we just gonna go off of that. I feel like Chauncey Billups, is he, if he's anything like what Ty Lue was with the Clippers, I think holding your stars accountable and making them understand, yeah, you're important to the trajectory of this team, but I'm going to need you to be more of a team player for us to be successful. If he can get that through his backcourt's heads, this roster can kind of live up to its potential because this was probably the most talented Portland roster I remember since Aldridge was there. Um, Covington solid on the wing as a defender and a three-point shooter. Melo shows somewhat of a resurgence. Nurkic, when he was healthy, was solid. And then coming off the bench, you got Norman Powell, Anthony Simons, Kaner as an offensive player, kind of. Like The roster is a solid roster. They just don't play smart, and they don't defend anything. 
And I think the biggest issue that Billups is going to have to resolve is having them play smarter. And that's going to mean your backcourt is going to have to be a little bit more unselfish. And then preaching to everybody on the floor, defense is about effort. You don't have to be the greatest defender, but you got you to care. You got to try. And I don't think those guys tried. And that starts with your leader. If Lillard ain't out there trying to defend. And I think that separates Lillard from Curry. Curry does the little things to be successful. You know, we always see Curry and his ability to shoot the three balls. Phenomenal. His ability to score around the basket's great. But he sets screens. He's you know, moving. he's always oh, moving, yeah, he's always moving without the ball. Um, he's not the greatest defender, but he's trying. They hide him, but when he gets switched on, he's putting in some effort. Lillard ain't trying to do all that. Only thing Lillard trying to do is a step back three or laying the shot. Like he 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 gets up for those late game moments. Oh, it's tied. I'm ready. But he's not setting no screen. He ain't running without the basketball. He ain't trying to defend nobody like that. Phillips is gonna have to drill through him. You got to do the little things if you want to get out the West. Cause the talent is there. And the way the West is shaping up, the Lakers are gonna be a problem when they're healthy. The Clippers are gonna be a problem, but they're beatable. You just Golden need your State star State player. Be a problem for, uh, for Portland as well. Right, Golden State as well, but they're beatable though. You just gotta your star player has to take the initiative to do the little things really, to be successful. Every team in playoff contention is gonna be a pro- Denver, Utah. Uh, if Phoenix run it back, uh, Utah. Right I mean, not Utah. Memphis. They're right there. Memphis is gonna be a problem. Eventually, for a lot of teams, Memphis is going to be a huge problem. And then we got to take account of the teams that didn't make it. Minnesota, you know what I'm saying? They're going to be an right. issue. Right, New Orleans. Uh, right, New Orleans, Sacramento, whenever they turn the corner. Like, they're coming. Oh, so, boy. Uh, coming. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Portland's going to be fine. If they run back the roster, they're going to make the playoffs. It's just when they get there, is Billups going to – breakthrough and that breakthrough in the postseason honestly i always feel this way it starts in the regular season starts in those games that nobody looking at against a new york or a okc or a houston where you losing a little bit and billups is getting on him like hey you got to do it this way because treat this like a simulation for the playoffs where we down and it's not all about you getting 20 in like five minutes i need you to set Nurkic up. I need you to set Melo up. I need you to get Covington going. I need you to get McCollum going. And I don't think Lillard does that. And I've always felt like Lillard as a playmaker was non-existent. He, he didn't play make enough. And I think that held that team back because his best playmaking asset was scoring instead of helping others get buckets off of his scoring. You know you're really great when you know you're great when the game is easy to you, but you become an even greater player when your effortlessness as a player helps everyone else get better. That's why I got huge Respect for Trey Young. Trey Young doesn't have to score to be effective for his team. His presence alone and his playmaking ability aids in that as well. And I think Lillard has to adapt that for Portland to be successful. Yeah, Chris Paul is is definitely deserving of that that praise, just making his team. But he's he's been doing that seemingly forever. Um, I forgot what that was. I saw like the Chris Paul effect. He can score too. That's the that's what people always wondered about. Can he be that that score too? And he has. Oh well, yeah, the way he, he just dropped he Patrick Beverly off. Yeah, we saw that. He showed that he can. <laughs> um, but Portland, um, 
it helps that Chauncey Billups has been on the highest stage in the NBA. It helps that he's played uh, one of the greatest teams of all time and won. Uh, so he's bringing that championship DNA to, uh, to Portland. Do I think that it'll change the culture of the team? I don't think so, because at this point, Damian Lillard could be set in his ways, which is probably, which will be the biggest threat to Chauncey Billups as a coach, having uh, star players that are set in their ways. Uh, if you bring Ben Simmons in, I think that'd be an appetite for disaster uh, because now Dame will have to learn Right. Who who would they even trade for? I don't know. I think, don't get me wrong. Three trade, bench players, maybe. No, nah, they they probably have to trade McCollum. So what? Wait, you would give up CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons? I would. Consider this is why, because McCollum and Lillard, we acknowledge as a backcourt, does what does not work. So you got to switch something up. And if you could get Simmons and maybe, yeah, that might be all you could really get. I don't know if you get Tobias, but. Simmons as defense. Bias before I take man. Take, that's fair. Simmons would add defense for sure. This is not a good defensive team, especially on the perimeter. And he would also allow, depending on how Ben Simmons develops his game in the offseason, some type of offensive duality because he'd allow Lillard to play off the ball more. And I think for Lillard's sake, especially at this point in his career, that helps. Because I think the older that you get, I don't think you need to be on the ball as much the older that you get. We see that with LeBron. He, he, Benefited a lot when Ronda was handling the primary ball handling duties and he was just able to chill. And so, but you know what? I, maybe they don't go after Simmons. Maybe they run it back with their team. It's going to come down to Billups connecting with the backcourt, not just Lillard, but more with McCollum doing the little things that I think helped that team to be successful. So we'll see from there. So since you're offering CJ McCollum, right? Why not go after LaMelo? Somebody like that. LaMelo's, see, now, LaMelo's untouchable. They're not giving him up. They're not. He's untouchable. But I, I, that saying, presents If you offering CJ, why not go big? But. Ben Simmons I mean, is. Of course, of course they're going to abate. For one of CJ's name is even in trade rumors. For one, little name is actually in more trade rumors than. CJ. Well, that, that's because uh, Bron fans are putting Little's no, 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 name no, in. No, that's, that's simply because. Literally has came out and said he's he's fed up with it. He's and Bron fans are taking that and running with it. Oh, he coming to LA. Oh my goodness. Every every offseason with y'all. I've seen reports of people talking about, oh, literally for uh for um Simmons. We, oh, that's ugly. That's we ugly. have, but here's here's the thing though that's about ugly Lillard. for Portland, beautiful Here, for uh Philly. Here's the thing though about Leonard. I mean Lillard. Once management came out and said. Lillard was a part of the search, and he talked to Billups. He ain't going nowhere right now, at least not this year. Now, if it doesn't work with Billups, he's gone. But I think here's the thing about Dame. This this is all about Dame now, knowing with the Blazers. You know, Damian Lillard, I think, did his own self a huge disservice by, I think, begging for respect. And by begging for respect, he painted himself into a corner where he basically labeled himself as I'm the loyal guy. I don't really care about the rings. I'm willing to stay with Portland forever. I just want to be with a management that supports me and supports my endeavors on trying to be the best basketball player I can be. 
And him and McCollum did all that to troll Durant. Here's the problem. At that time, you weren't looked upon as Durant's equal. Still kind of are now, but you weren't looked upon as a superstar. It wasn't until they broke through and beat OKC, Denver, and then lost to the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals. People were like, oh, okay, Lillard like that. And now that Lillard's like that, now he's understanding, dang, like, since I'm like that, it's added pressure. Like, Cat's expecting me to win a chip. And now he realizes, well, I got to, this ain't it for me to win a championship. And I think that's literally the only star I think that's really done this. I know a lot of people clown Durant for leaving OKC to go to Golden State, and they call him sensitive because he had that Twitter stuff. Honestly, Durant don't care, bro. He, he understood. He tried. He understood he needed to win a championship to solidify his legacy. He did. Lillard cared about the respect, but he didn't realize with the respect comes responsibility to win a championship. Once he finally got it after begging and then succeeding on the court, now he realizes, dang, they really expected me to do something? Now it's like, it's not fair and I need help. And I'm just like... He's seeing what everybody else went through. And he's also seeing what we all saw. We all realized, bro, you ain't winning in Portland with that team. No, in it because... You and CJ ball hog all day. Y'all don't make anybody else better. Your coach don't hold y'all accountable. And then y'all don't play defense. And y'all in the West. And y'all can't get past Golden State even before KD. So we like, psh. And it really hit when they got swept by the Pelicans. <laughs> and then I was like, dang, bro. They really far. But they, they saved face. That's when they going, Drew, right? Right. Drew that's Holliday when the Pelicans had, had, had uh, Drew Holiday and Rondo. Yeah. Hey, Drew, AD, and Rondo got cooked. Boogie wasn't there yet? Boogie was there. That was Boogie the was there, but he tore his Achilles. So he didn't right, play right, that right, series. Right, right, right. He didn't even play with Right, right. I do. He didn't play. So that's when everybody was on high alert. They're like, man, he, man this is it. Try they go to the seven. conference finals. <laughs> they save face. But yeah, that's what Lillard, that's what Lillard's seen. And so I think for Lillard's sake, I hope he's able to get the championship he's looking for. Man, winning the championship is hard. Not everybody's going to get an opportunity to do that. Chris Paul is 16 years in. He just gets to the finals. So you got to make a lot of sacrifices to get there, and then you got to have a lot of fortunate luck. And it'd be gracious to be around a great team. He's not on a great team. He ain't been having the best of luck. So the only thing he's got left to do is what? You're going to have to sacrifice. And you might have to sacrifice shot opportunities. Might have to sacrifice the limelight. Might have to sacrifice comfortability to be successful in the West. Because while I think this Western Conference is it's going to be wide open next year, a lot of teams are going to have a chance to win. I, I know a lot of people saying, wait till AD and LeBron get back. I think AD at this point in his career is injury prone, and so is LeBron. So, yeah, they could be back day one healthy. Are they going to be healthy by the end of the season? We don't know. And that, you know, Phoenix is talented. Denver's talented. But they've shown chips and armor. They can be beat, too. And so this is a great opportunity for the next two years for Dame to get that ring. It's just, is he going to be able to take that step back to get it? Like I said, man, uh, if he's too, if, if, if he's too stuck in his ways, it's not going to happen. You know, he's I agree. used to scoring 40, 50 points a night. Uh, I used to say the same thing about Durant and Westbrook, man. Like, if they have to combine for 70 points every single night, then they're not, they're not going to win a championship. Ever. No. Um, same with Dame and CJ. Um, and this one, like you said, comes from not trusting or, or yeah, not trusting their teammates. But right, at, cool. at some point you have to step off the floor. 
at some point you have to get out the game and rest. So at least try to get them within the flow of the game while you're on the floor. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't really speak to that mindset because I'm not a pro athlete, clearly. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't even know if that's like a, a mindset for, for stars, for superstars to be like, uh, well, I guess it is. Kobe was Smush Parker. Uh, you trash. You know, you, you, you not, I'm not passing you the ball. Or like Ron Artest said, Kobe never passes me the ball. <laughs> but uh, especially like you said, you know, in those games that uh, the smaller games, the New York Knicks and, you know, Pelicans, stuff like that, that is when you really try to dig deep and establish some type of foundation with your, your teammates, you know, who are not star caliber players. You get them going. Because imagine if, Imagine if LeBron never got Mike Miller or James Jones or, you know, Norris Cole or Mario Thomas going, right? You know, imagine if Iguodala or uh, Bogut or David Lee never got going. So it's a team for a reason. When I can't, I need you to step up and do. And the only way I know that you can step up and do is if I allow you to do that, if I'm the superstar, because the ball is in my hand 80% of the time anyway. That's the ball is in Lillard's court now. 100% agree that the ball is in Lillard's court. And we segue from one coaching move to three other positions that are open as of now. So Orlando, Washington, New Orleans, those are the last three NBA coaching spots that have been unfulfilled. And out of all those three, which to you guys look like the most ideal situation if you're a coach coming in? Where you feel like, and that ideal situation could fluctuate. What was, what was the three teams? The New Orleans Pelicans, the, the Washington Wizards, and then the Orlando Magic. If it's me, I'm, I'm, I'm probably taking Washington because Bradley Beal and Westbrook. You got to trade one of them, bro. That's, that team, that roster is not. Yeah, good. but even if you do trade one of them, you have something to that? trade. Like, uh, <laughs> wait, well, Pelicans, you have. Plenty of trades right there. The Pelicans, you trade Zion. Well, the recent drama with Zion's family, right? That may be a trade. That definitely is a trade. Lonzo, I'm not sure what his trade stuff is like. First first off, they have to sign Lonzo if they want to trade him, which is also good because he right now his trade value is high because they get good that he had. Well, I'll touch base on the Pelicans first. I think they're the most unique one of all um they're in the west and after what phoenix did and what memphis did teams like the pelicans are on the clock because people are going to be looking at them like you're young too you have zion he's the number one pick he's talented out the wazoo he's averaging 30 every night you know and you're not winning nothing but he's averaging 30 brandy negro solid all-star caliber so you got two all-star caliber talents yeah, oh, don't get me started on that backcourt. Horrible. Had blood, so yeah, all them. Yeah, so that's, that's the difference maker. Is they don't have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. The difference maker is they don't have a Chris Paul. They don't have a point guard. And I think this, you know, the NBA, remember last, last decade, it was all about you need a wing. You need a dynamic wing to get there. I think this new era of basketball, you really need a point guard that can make everybody's job a lot 
easier. And I think point guard play was important back in the 80s. In the 80s, for sure, because you had... Look at the teams that were successful. Magic. Um, Isaiah. Isaiah, Detroit. Boston had Dennis Johnson. Tiny Archibald. So point guard play was very important in the 80s. And I think you're seeing that now in this new era of basketball, for sure, because Phoenix, they're in the playoffs. They're in the finals because of Chris Paul. Atlanta's made it far because of Trey Young. And made the playoffs because of Ja. Ja, right. So point guard play is important. Now you're going to have teams like Milwaukee and, yeah, Milwaukee, who are going to get there without great point guard play because Giannis is so dominant. But not everybody's going to have the luck. Drew kind of is a great option. You stretching it at great. He's competent at the point. Dude, no, he you stretching it at competent. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm stretching at competent. Good, but okay, I'm just okay. We can meet. We can meet in the middle. We can, we can, we can say good. good, good. We can do good. You're right. Good. Okay, he's good, but he's not a natural point. And a lot of his assists that he got last night was off of rudimentary pick and rolls. And so they're able to be that dominant because Giannis is such a dominant force, and Middleton's solid as a second option scorer. But not everybody's blessed to have a Giannis, a Durant, a LeBron. But you've seen a lot of these guys coming out of high school and college. They can run that point, though, solid. And I'm not saying you got to be Ja, but imagine if the Pelicans had, it's going to sound ridiculous, they had a TJ McConnell who could run the point, defend his tail off, hit an open jumper. All of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. Now, obviously, to get to a championship level, you're going to need at least an all-star and an all-NBA caliber talent at the point. But that's what the Pelicans are Even missing. Adams is still in New Orleans too, right? He is. But that's what they're missing because I said this to Darius before the pod. Lonzo Ball is not a great point guard in the half court. I don't think he's a great NBA point guard at all. I think at this point in his career, he's a solid two guard, maybe a wing. Because he's great defender on the perimeter. He's improved his shot. But he can't run an NBA offense to save his life. He just can't do it. Bledsoe can't either. So they got my boy Kyra Lewis, who I like, but I don't know if he can run that one spot as well. So I think their biggest initiative that they need to take is find a lead guard, whether that's they draft one at 10 or they try to finesse to get one somewhere in free agency or through a change. That's what they need. I mean, okay, so... Or, I mean, they probably just need a coach who can probably mentor Lonzo to be that type of guard that can, you know, work in half court. Maybe like that. Maybe that's the job for Jason Kidd. Who's gone, by the way. He's with the Mavericks. But that that's valid. I, I think having somebody that can run that could help. But I think Lonzo's tired of New Orleans. I think he don't want to be there. I I, I think what he likes his vet? teammates. A vet is solid as well. Um. Darren Collison was trying to get back in the league. Maybe try to get him back Ooh, in New Orleans. A right. Time. A long time. Darren Collison. They just need a guy that could come in at the one spot. It could be a vet. It don't have to be an all-world all-star. Wait a second. Did they give... Um, was that the Pelicans that gave Isaiah Thomas another shot? They did. Did it work? He was cool. He was cool, but they cut I him. I never saw what the problem was with Isaiah Thomas. Why Why did the league just completely turn their back on that man after his sister died? He's short, and he doesn't play defense. It's and he was compromised wow. with him. Wow, out of all the people we just named today who don't play defense, but he can but, he can get you a bucket, though. No, 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 but but he's the he shortest out of all of them hurt. that can't play defense. Oh, and he got hurt, hurt, too. When right. he hurt? What happened? At Boston. The Hill. Yeah, the Hill. Boston. 
So a short right? He went up for a shot and fell. I don't know if he I fell, but he talked about it on all the smoke. How he got hurt? It was a game he picked out. He was like, I got hurt in this game, and I thought it wasn't a big deal. I forgot. I think it was against Cleveland. I don't know, but he's short and he's compromised with the hip injury, and he don't play defense. You can't have all of that and expect to have a job in the NBA. That's I mean, they tough. let. That's really tough. I mean, they kept Melo That's out. Tough. Gordon Hayward keep getting all these chances at the chance at the chance. <laughs> but that he's six. Come on, but he's man. six After seven. He left Utah, it was really over with. It was over with. But he was six six and he could shoot. Basically, Gordon have Hayward. Have you been? Have you been watching Gordon Hayward? I have. He so can still you know. He can still play. The he just can't is, stay healthy. The problem is, ain't nobody finna really bring a player on just to be a mentor. Another player. Teams do it all the time. That's well, I mean, Miami didn't bring Haslam on, but they kept having to be a blue. But Bulls did it with Najee Muhammad. But but the thing is, he he was a locker room guy. He wasn't like teams don't just bring one person in to mentor. That's what player coaches are for. Like that they need locker room guys just because do you think IT is a good locker room guy? Well, they tried to make. I don't know what his personality is like. They tried to make JJ Reddick that guy, but then JJ Reddick started being snarky because he didn't want. He started talking weird. He started talking like he didn't want to be there, which I didn't get because he was a free agent. You didn't have to go there. But he was like, man, I don't like Stan. Upper management sucks. Um, They didn't trade me to where I wanted to be. I wanted to go to Brooklyn to be close to my kids. He started crapping on the organization. So he ain't a great locker room guy either. Reddick just liked to talk. So uh, you need a guy that's going to be in there that's going to be like, he's going to talk, but it's not going to echo into the media. It's going to be like, okay, look, like a, you guys got to do this, you know, do crazy this, be successful. It sounds like New Orleans is going through the same crisis that the Lakers went through before LeBron got there. Remember, we they were are. having this conversation at the whistle, how, how the young players didn't know what they didn't know. <laughs> so, I mean, how could they know how to get better? If they don't know what they're doing, you know, if they don't know what they're doing wrong. It's giving me Laker vibes for sure. Um, because Zion's talented, Ingram's cool, but no one's holding him accountable to get better. So they're just going to stay what they are. And that's why, you know, Detroit, who has the number one pick, they're going to take K coming in. I feel like Detroit's in a nice space because as much as Dwayne Casey sucks as an X's and O's coach, he's great at developing players and holding those guys accountable. Um, they don't have that in New Orleans. So right now they're talking about maybe having the guy that works for the Bucks. He's possibly their top hire. Um, Bucks assistant Charles Lee, Fred Vinson, um, assistant guys that were on one of the Bucks staff, one the Pelican staff. But it's that I heard they interview Mike D'Antoni, who will be horrible for that team. Uh, but why does he keep getting chance after chance? Because one, his name does mean you make the playoffs. I give Dan Tony this everywhere he's gone, they've made the playoffs. I, I don't think, well, I don't know if they made it with the Knicks, probably not the Knicks, but they made it to the playoffs everywhere else he went. When did he uh, coach the Knicks? Um, this was after Mike Woodson, I think, or this before was Mike. The- 2010, 2011? Yeah, 2020, 2010 type. Yeah. They made the playoffs. Melo was there. Yeah, Melo was there. They went to Melo's the there. Okay, I know they for sure made it with Mike Woodson. So maybe they did. So his name means playoffs. 
New Orleans trying to get to the playoffs because Zion's marketability radishes up when they make the playoffs. Um, you're going to win 50 games. You're going to play up tempo. You're going to score a lot of points. That might gravitate to the young cats for sure because it's like more points I score, more my more my brand go up. more I, I can go to the contract table and be like, I average this amount of points. Give me an extension for sure. But I think for them, they need a guy um, that's going to hold these young guys accountable, but not crap on them too much like Van Gundy was doing. And I, I told y'all, I told y'all in the chat, Man, Stan is not a good hire. I call that day one like this ain't good because I remember what he did in a similar situation in Detroit where Reggie was there with Drummond and KCP and Stanley Johnson. And they made the playoffs once, got swept by Cleveland, but it didn't work there because he was a control freak. It was like, I need y'all to do this. And if y'all don't, I'm going to disrespect y'all to the point where it makes it look like y'all can't play basketball at all. And that does not resonate at all, no matter no error, because he was kind of like that. With the Heat, when the Heat had Shaq and Wade, which is why he got fired. And Raleigh got in to take his spot, and they won the finals. So that you don't want to push over, but you also don't want to a, a what, control what freak. What is the culture of the New Orleans Pelicans? I think the culture of the Pelicans, what I've seen, is right because you from down that way. Yeah. What's the, what What would you say is the culture of that team? It feels like acquiesce to Zion. And bump everybody else. I mean, that's the vibe I'm getting. And the problem is that's cool when Zion develops. Okay. He ain't there yet. I think to push all the chips in and be like, he the dude. He still don't have a jump shot. He still is very overweight. And I don't know. Well, we know he don't play defense. And I don't know the way he is right now. If he don't develop, that's going to propel him as a player and propel that franchise so you got to kind of be on him like you cool and all but to be where you want to be you got to be a lot better than this you got to lose weight you got to get a jump shot you got to diversify your handles we need you to be an initiator on defense same with Brandon Ingram who I think is a lot more skilled than Zion but he don't defend either and I think they kind of have Ingram playing like he's Durant when I think honestly Ingram might be Scotty Pippen. And that's not bad, but at least Scotty Pippen could defend. Ingram got to try on that end. You know, he's got to be willing to be a playmaker. And so it starts with them too. You got to break through to those two guys because I think the guys they have around them are solid. I like Josh Hart, who don't want to come back because the coach in New Orleans is fried, but I like him. I like Kyra Lewis when he was on the floor. I like um, Hayes from texas i like him a lot i like the pieces that they have around these guys it's a very solid roster it's just their core don't defend and they look content with who they were as talents and that's not going to be enough because who they are right now means they're not a playoff team john Morant got better luka Doncic got better um so it's like if you're not going to get better and you just feel like that's enough you're not going to win in this league that's tough. I don't I don't know much about the city of New Orleans. Um, but I know when it comes to cities like Memphis, uh, it's a real dogfight kind of culture. New York, it's 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 a disrespectful, hard nosed, you know, uh uh real, you know, real gritty city. So the coaching, the team need to reflect. Um, 
you know, with Los Angeles, you got Showtime. Makes a lot of sense. Miami, you know, you got that. Miami is kind of difficult. Yeah, Miami's like the nightlife, but they be they've been gritty since they've been established, which was in the nineties. So, which I guess kind of acquiesces. Well, I wouldn't call LeBron's Miami gritty. That was more. They were more Hollywood than gritty. Okay, but outside of LeBron, but like yeah, that's outside, it. yeah, I can see what you mean. New Orleans have to find that identity, that that thing that makes them them. And do that really well. Detroit did that with the Dirty Files. You know, they'd be like a better Showtime team. uh, New Orleans. Why would you think they'd be a better Showtime? Because of just because of the pieces that they have. They got a lot of flashy players who can do a lot of flashy. Okay, I see what you mean. I I definitely see that. They Um, remind me a lot of, and I said this early in the season. Remind me of the Lob City Clippers. The problem is. The Lob City Clippers had a point guard. They had a point guard, but Zion is Blake. They had a point guard and a competent coach. Yes. Zion is the Blake. Jackson Hayes could be the DeAndre Jordan. Um, Ingram is. Brandon Ingram is the piece that the Clippers needed. To needed. Win. Right. They need a piece that the Clippers need to win. He's the wing the they Clippers had never Matt had. Barnes at the three. Right. Oh, my God. Matt Barnes. And they had Reggie Bullock, <laughs> who's now hooping in New York, but he wasn't that back then. He wasn't that back then. They needed a small fort for desperately. Desperately. So he and now you're right, just like the Clippers. You know, it's like it's like kind of reverse though. You know, Clippers needed a a, a small fort and the Pelicans need a point guard. Need a point guard. It's either they need Lonzo to develop or they need Lonzo been in the been in the league for how many years though? Been and he's still like he's what it's five, it should be like five years. He's reached. Uh, like he's, he's past that play. he needs to develop stage. At this point, it's play well or get cut. Right. <laughs> that week. But I'm saying you said that he needs to develop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He hasn't reached his uh his peak yet. How yeah, long but is I, that gonna take? But what Lonzo he has he gonna be a vet. What Lonzo has done though is he showcased that this is who he is, he's inconsistent. So once some games will give you 30. Other games will give you five. Some games will give you 11 assists. Some games will give you two. Like, he's – Lonzo, I think, is his, his draft's version of Victor Oladipo. Now, granted, Oladipo out, got hurt. That's unfortunate. Um, he has been healthy. But Victor Oladipo had that one great year with Indiana. But for the most part, he, he's Oladipo. They, they should have taken out Cleveland. Cleveland, yeah. But got uh, cheated. But we don't yeah, they got cheated. But for the most part – He's all a depot. Some games, flashes, other games. Eh. And so Pelicans, you didn't sign up for that when you traded away Anthony Davis. You didn't get a sun-timey type dude. You hit on Ingram. Josh Hart, who I liked coming out of Villanova, is a solid six-man. Kick Lonzo to the curb and get you a guard that can run that offense. That's what they're missing. That's what they're missing. They're missing the PG, honestly. Now, with the Wizards, with the Wizards, uh, they're in a unique spot. They're in the East. Which in the past was great because he sucked. Now I don't know. The East probably might mess around and be better than the West in about five years. I'm gonna be honest. Atlanta's arrived. Boston's gonna be better. Miami's gonna be better. Which is um, scary because Boston is already a great team. I don't know what it's been in the past. Well, this year they didn't have Jalen Brown, which uh, did not help them at all. Right uh, in the playoffs, yeah, it didn't. It's it's kind of hard for them to kind of you know top 
that year they went to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. They keep getting tricked by point guards. That's the problem. They do. That's that's funny. They are getting tricked by PGs. I think what they've realized is they don't need a stay with Terry. Right. They don't need a scoring point guard. They just need a point guard that can just run the offense and set up they wings that can get buckets. That's what they need. Uh nah, like a John Morant. Which you can't get John Morant. That boy gonna get a bucket. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. He is, but he's unique though. He's the perfect hybrid. He don't have to get 30 to be effective. Mm-hmm. It's Trey Young, too. He don't have to get 30 to be effective. They need that type of point De'Aaron that can Fox. set up those guys. A De'Aaron Fox. Um, I like that one. Right, a De'Aaron Fox. Who, <laughs> I mean, if they could trade for Fox, that, that's tough. But they can't. So that's what they need. And you said Terry Rozier. That's probably the guy they should have kept. But they now, couldn't If they were keep able him. to get somebody like LaMelo from the draft, problem solved. Like, exactly, Lamelo. That's what they think, need. But they don't have any draft picks I'm, coming up, I'm, right? I'm really trying to think. I don't think so. They traded it to OKC, so yeah, they 16 pick. Yeah, for Horford and Moses Brown, which I don't know. Rate rate that trade. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was I bad. I wonder if they really what they really need is more of a veteran point guard than because what they keep trying to get is somebody in that age bracket that. Jalen and them in, right? They, they do. They no, do. That that don't that I, they won't probably work. need. They probably just need a veteran point guard, somebody who can help them. Like they like, how old is Drew Holiday? They need a, they need a point guard like that. And Drew is Drew like in his early thirties, right? Early thirties, but here's the thing about Drew: he's not a point. You know, Brogdon could work, and ever since the Pacers was like, "Hey, we'll trade Brogdon for Ben Simmons," they basically saying Brogdon's available. So Brogdon would be cool. I don't know if Reggie or Shooter's it because they'd be just a lower budget Kimba and Kyrie. Like, I don't think you need another scoring guard that's older or part of that squad. Maybe they need Rondo back. Maybe. But I don't. Since the boy don't like to shoot anyway, Ben Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. There's no way Philly is trading Ben to the rival. I, I I I don't see that happening. But. Back to the East being probably dominant in the next five, Washington's in a unique spot. Next year, the next year in the East, it's it's gonna be a dogfight. Um, Detroit could be a playoff team next year. Charlotte could be a playoff team next year. Um, New York could take a step Chicago back. Could be a playoff Chicago team. could be a playoff team Washington next year. Definitely left us out, but he put Detroit. Well, I'm saying yeah, Detroit that was kind of confusing. Well, well, I'm saying Detroit because. They're going to get Kay Cunningham. It's the oh. number one pick. And I'm sorry. Let's, let's just be real here. Better coach at developing young talent, Dwayne Casey or Billy Donovan? It's Dwayne Casey. Chill out, bro. Chill, chill I'm, out, just, bro. I'm just saying. Hey, bro. <laughs> so, so it's Dwayne Casey. So while the Knicks probably won't be a playoff team next year because I, the Knicks, they're going to have to bring back their same roster that they had. I don't think that's going to be enough. I think Cass was sleeping on the Knicks this year. Now with an 82-game schedule with that same squad, if Thibodeau does it again, put him in the Hall of Fame. I'm just being honest. But I don't I don't see him doing it again. So if you're the Wizards, that's cool. But for Washington, is that a favorable spot? Or is it kind of like, if I get that, you just really waiting on Westbrook to decline and hope Beal don't leave? Because outside of them two, 
What do you really have? Or you're hoping to get a good return for those two. Exactly. What happened with your boy, uh, Hachimura? I like Hachimura a lot. Um, I do Ooh, think he maybe a couple. Didn't they just get a big man up there? They got Gafford. The, I know. Right, right. Daniel Gafford. That's they got Gafford. Because I'm like Wendell Carter went to Orlando, but Daniel, yeah. Daniel they got Gafford. Gafford who balled out in the playoffs. He was solid. Um, and I liked him when he was uh, like at Arkansas. At Arkansas, he's more of like a high flyer. But it was like, man, look at his dunks and his verticality. But he he could play. Now I like Rui a lot. Um, they got Denny Advia, who basically plays Rui same position. They um I like them a lot. I just feel like they're a couple years away, and I don't know if Westbrook and Beal are on that timing. Now here's the good thing for the Wizards: Westbrook looked really happy to play in Washington. But that might have been because Scott Brooks was there. And him and Scott Brooks had this love affair that dates back to OKC, where Scott Brooks is like, Westbrook is the best point guard ever, and yada, yada, yada. Like, Westbrook loves Scott Brooks. Durant loves Scott Brooks, too. Like, they, all them OKC dudes love Scott Brooks. I don't, I get why. Right, I get why, but it's like, eh, Scott Brooks sucks as a coach. So, it's going to be interesting to see who takes Scott Brooks' spot. Can he resonate with, really, Westbrook? Because I think Bill's at a point where he cool being with Washington. As long as he get paid, he don't look like he in that Lillard phase before Lillard got to where he at. He know he an underdog. Nobody really respect him. And he cool with that. He likes as long as I'm getting buckets and getting paid, I'm straight. So that's cool for the next four years. But you got to hit home with Westbrook. Was it from John Wall? I, I didn't think it would be that much of an upgrade, it was, but. It was uh, the health thing. They knew that. Yeah, after he he got he hurt his back while already being injured, right? Right. Yeah, he hurt his Achilles. Yeah, yeah. Always injured. So if you get a Westbrook who really barely ever injured, then over a John Wall, might as well, you know, because they're the same player. That's they're going to get somewhat similar buckets. Now, if we're talking about prime, if we're talking about prime John Wall, though, not that much of an upgrade because prime John Wall got you out the first round. That's the thing. They didn't right. know what he was going to be after the after exactly. after all these injuries. Exactly. So, well, Westbrook, Westbrook, healthy and understanding the Florida team, they got to the playoffs. But it's going to be the same thing though this year because new coaching staff, new culture. Westbrook got to acquiesce to that. It's all going to depend on if Westbrook is cool with that. You, Beal is sold. I, all Washington had to do was make the playoffs and Bill was going to stay because when they sucked, the way Bill was talking, I was like, damn, y'all, y'all not good. And you talking like, I'm going to wait and see. Like, dang, you really like being here? Okay. And so they made the playoffs. He sold. He cool. So when they asked him after, where you going to go? Bill like, I'm not really thinking about that because he, he cool. They made the playoffs. He getting paid. He cool. He don't have no pressure. Westbrook, though, his time is ticking. He really resonated with a coach that was there because of history. He's gone. He might look at this kind of like how he was looking at the Houston stuff. The Houston stuff, he was like, D'Antoni gone. I'll see what y'all talking about coaching-wise. And then he realized it wasn't talking about nothing. He was like, I'm out. So it might be the same thing in Washington. So Washington, their coach has to kind of acquiesce, as weird as it sounds, to Westbrook if they want that backcourt still intact. If it doesn't, then I say trade Russ. And build around Beal, personally. Uh, what is okay? Beal's the thing with Bradley Beal. If they keep him, 
he doesn't really, he's not really on their timetable. Like they need to go young and start. They really need to go young and go and start over. I, I see a total rebuild in their future. Uh, remember, Ken Bowie, remember on, on um at the whistle a couple years ago, bro, when we were trying to decide on uh if the Wizards to trade John Wall or Bradley Bill, what did I say? You said both of them. Both of them. You sure did. Both of them. <laughs> both of them. Yeah, both of them. It's over yeah. with. Like right now, they just they're they the squeezing life. You know what I'm saying? They squeezing life out of Westbrook and they squeezing Bradley Bill out of his prime. You know, um, when when Thibodeau's time was up in Chicago, I didn't want Jimmy Butler to stay there. Jimmy Butler is my favorite player, and I, I love to see him play in the Bulls jersey, but at the same time, I didn't want to see him waste his prime right. on a team that wasn't going nowhere. Right. Bradley Beal, no different. If we can get Bradley Beal somewhere like uh, somewhere like Charlotte, that'll be a huge bonus with LaMelo, and you know they'll be able to attract some other talent with that kind of, you know, or if we can get Bradley Beal somewhere else, like I don't know, uh, New Orleans. I'm trying to think. I said, I don't know how old Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal is like 29. He was drafted in the same draft as Anthony Davis, but I know when he came out, Beal was a sophomore coming out of Florida. Why AD was a freshman, so I know he was in that same draft. The draft where Charlotte could have took Beal, but they took Kid Gilchrist. But that's another topic for another day. So uh, I agree. I think Beal is at a point where he could play. Right, he could play, but I think he's probably more of a complimentary star than like a focal point of a championship team. I'm just being real. Um, But, you know, it really comes down to what do the Wizards want? You know, I, I looked up they, sell tickets. they do. So I looked up the Utah Jazz's history right when um this was like right off they lost in the bubble, they blew the three one lead. And I was like, dang, Utah history, wow. They only been trash for like seven years. Like it was it felt like throughout their whole franchise history, Utah didn't make the playoffs for like like eight times. And then when they didn't, it was like really, really good. You know what I'm saying? So not really good, but like borderline playoff team. So Teams like that, like Utah, Indiana, they don't care. Like, stuff like this, what the Wizards going through right now is a dub because they relevant. It's like we a playoff participants, so that's good enough. As long as we not lottery bound, that's a plus. If we're a fringe playoff team or a playoff team, that's good enough. Is Washington in the same mindset? Because, you know, we remember Washington when they had Gilbert Arenas. And that's really it. I guess Michael Jordan a little bit. But there's been some times where the Wizards have been really, really bad, like very lean years. And it really just comes down to this management want to go back to that because that's made what you have to go back to to be relevant again. You know, Oklahoma City don't care because they're used to that. OKC had to do that to build their franchise back up to be relevant when they came to Oklahoma City. So when they had to blow it up, when Durant left and stuff and Westbrook and that didn't work out, they're cool with it because it's like we do this, we'll be back. Washington, maybe not so reluctant because they don't hit on draft picks like that. They don't like they got Wall and they got Beal. But let's be real. Wall was a sure thing coming out of Kentucky. Beal was a sure thing coming out of Florida. Because I remember when Beal came out of Florida, they compared him to Ray Allen. So it was it was a sure thing. And so there's no guarantee. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee if they they pull the plug on these guys that they're gonna be willing to rebuild properly. So I think, I think Bill gonna be there for sadly the next three years, and <laughs> and then when when that's over, a little of the east. right? Then when that's over, he's gonna be like, I gotta get out of here. But right now, he got paid. He's content, and honestly, I think he was more driven to get out of John Wall's shadow because John Wall ran that. John Wall ran that franchise. I think he was more content getting out of John Wall's shadow than trying to win anything. He finally got out of his shadow. Westbrook came out and was like, Bill, you're the man. That made Bill feel good. I think he's going to ride that way for about two more years. Then he's going to realize this ain't fun. I got to go somewhere and win. Uh, but yeah, blow the team up. Washington, <laughs> blow the team up. Yeah, I mean, you just throw in a white flag. <laughs> I mean, wait, who? So who? Who? Because the whole discussion is who would be a who a good be, coach. Yeah, who good would coach. Be a coach for them. Blow so they <laughs> whoever get picked to get picked. <laughs> so the names I see, I know Tyrone Corbin. He sucked when he coached. He was not good. Uh, Becky Hammond is somebody that they're interested in. What? interesting a little bit so we can see how that goes but um i think for the wizard's sake uh that's another team i don't think has what is their identity washington's identity they look like they want to be an up-tempo team i mean they have the guards they don't have it figured out yet what is our identity what is it that we do are we are we blow for blow or is it like the grindhouse are we more lax, laid back? Or are we, you know? Their roster reminds me a lot of uh, the Phoenix Sun teams when Steve Nash was there. I'm not saying that they're like that, but it gives me that vibe because they have the athletic, when Gaffer was there, they have the athletic guy that can run the floor and get lives. They have the wings on the floor that can catch and shoot. They have the guard play that can get the own shot. It's dynamic to say the least. They don't play defense, by the way. So they need a guy that can come in and kind of yes, have them be an up tempo team. Can be now. Here's the thing: you don't have a lot of up tempo teams in the East. Brooklyn was it. So being up tempo in the East could mean you can mess around and be a playoff team and be successful. And I think with teams like Washington Terry and Rozier does do that for Charlotte, right? So I think with Washington, Washington gonna look at the Atlanta. Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks are going to have a lot of teams in the East looking at them like, man, they made the conference finals. We just as talented as them as a roster. We could get there too. So that's going to give a lot of teams like the Washingtons, the Indianas, the Miamis, the, um, you know, those teams, they're going to be like, you know, we just need a coach that can help us get an identity. And then we're on our way. That's why the Pacers got Carlisle. You know, that's why the Heat probably might tinker a little bit and might trade one of the two shooters. And then they just feel like we just need to get, you know, an influx of people that fit our culture. And so Washington, maybe they feel like they're a coach away, which is probably why they cut the court on Brooks. Because it's like the main reason why they cut the court on Brooks is Brooks wanted a race, <laughs> which I found was ridiculous. Because it's like, dude, y'all got in the playoffs on a losing record. You ain't all that. But okay, to each his own. Well, we made the playoffs. Oh, so. right. So, 
they just need a coach that could, you know, help them get an identity. And last but not least, before we wrap this part up, the Orlando Magic, their spot, that's open. Um, They actually were going to re-sign Clifford. It's just Clifford was like, I don't want to be a part of a rebuilding phase. So I'm going to just head to the crib and just say I'm, I'm out. So Orlando, they're finding a coach. Um. Now, I know I'm saying this team. You guys are probably like, who is Orin Orlando? Like, what is, what do they have? But I, I just I know, know Wendell bit. Carter Jr. is down there. He is. Uh, they still got Markel Fultz, they right? Fultz. They he got, is. Uh, Terrence Ross. He is, yeah. Um, Jonathan Isaac, he there. Isaac, Jonathan Isaac, he's Isaac. there. Isaac, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, ancestors did that to him. Yeah, yeah, sadly. I was going to say. Now, when I talked about Orlando, you know, some Orlando fans was kind of like, man, we draft pretty well. We got a nice little roster. We could build something. My thing with Orlando is um, they're probably four years away from being relevant. I mean, let's just be honest. They have nice pieces, but or and their GM is Hammond. He used to be the GM of the Bucks. He was influential when them drafted Middleton, Giannis. Yo, build the Bucks to where they kind of are right now. So he drafts well. He has a history of drafting well. But I think with Orlando, they're another team. You got to find an identity. But you also got to be cool with coaching their young guys. And so if you're the Magic franchise, who do you go for at coaching-wise? And how do you sell today's fan base? It's another rebuild. I mean, they haven't been good since the White left. So how do you sell to their fan base? It's another rebuild. We getting there when for the past few years it's been eight seed and out as a franchise. Well, for one, I, I've noticed over the years that Orlando is uh stuck in their ways of building a team, which is around a big man. Mm-hmm. Uh the Shaq days are gone, the White Howard days are gone. This isn't the era of the traditional big man. When they had I don't need I I love that Vucevic is a Chicago Bull now, but I have no idea. I have no idea why they made that trade. Um, they wanted to make the play. That's what it was. They made the trade because they wanted to make the playoffs. But Zach Levine got hurt right at the end when they, after the trade. So he didn't get hurt, man. They had him on a uh, health and safety protocol. I thought he was hurt. This year? This season? And towards the end of the season, yeah. Yeah, health and safety protocol. Don't tell me no COVID. COVID. Yes, bro. And he even tweeted that he was like, man, these health and safety protocols are BS or something like that. He tweeted. That's messed up. That's really, that really stopped them from making the plan. Yeah. Um, Orlando, man, it's, it's hard because it's not, I, I've actually liked Orlando teams in the past, post Dwight Howard. I, I, I play with them on 2K and everything, but uh, to pull all that together, I, I have no idea. Um, I can't. I can't think of anyone you can put in that situation and and turn it completely around because they've been in the same spot for years, bro. The best thing they don't get me wrong. It's it's always been like coaches that new coaches they'll pick up just to go through some rebuilds, just to have a coach basically. But that's basically what was going to end up happening with them. They're gonna pick up some no-name coach probably. Ain't nobody finna touch their foot. 
nobody good anyway is going to put their hands on that just to be outed in a couple years. It's right. not like they got a high, a high pick. What pick do they have anyway? They have the fifth pick. So it's it's high. Now, here, here's the devastating part about Orlando. Um, but I'm going to touch base on what you know he just said. He made a great point about they're going to probably have a coach that no one's heard of. That's a lame duck. That's just going to be there while they try to recoup the, the masses, uh, recoup the rebirth. And then once the rebirth is so established, put somebody in there that's going to jumpstart the culture change. But, you know, they traded Vucevic because... Fultz got hurt. Now, before Fultz got hurt, they were a playoff team. That boy just can't win. He can't win. He got hurt. They realized, dang, without Fultz, we ain't all that. Because Cole Anthony, who they drafted, he was he was hurt too. And then when he was healthy, he was struggling at the league guard spot. So they blew it up and they embraced the tank. And they thought, we're going to get this number one pick. They wound up in the lottery and got the fifth pick. And they had one of the, the worst. one pick isn't always the answer. It's not. But they... But they have a bunch of young guys. On, the they have a hey. bunch of young guys on their team. They like we just need one more gym, and now fast track the rebuild. They got the is, fifth pick. Is Mo Bamba even stacking up to what the hype was about him? He's not, and a lot of that has to do with they drafted Mo Bamba. Now, now here's the interesting part: they wanted Trey Young first. They really wanted Trey Young. Oh, well, that would have that would have definitely did it. Right. They really because I remember reading they were in love with Trey Young. They loved they they really wanted him. But you know, Atlanta, Dallas did the trade, never happened. So they got Mo Bamba, who I liked coming out of Texas. The problem is Mo was behind Vucevic for two years. So he never really got run. So it's like it's like drafting a quarterback number one and he behind your starter for two years. Like it's just wasted years in his rookie contract. Then when he did start to play, he got COVID. Then when he came back from COVID, he didn't look the same. Then he started to get some PT later, and now it's kind of like we deep in Mo Bamba's contract, and we don't know who he is as a player. So that's that's a big dang. Wolves were supposed to take Mo Bamba, but since they took them ahead of, uh, ahead of us, we had to end up grabbing Wendell Carter, which wasn't a bad pick. Now they got both. Wendell Carter really, really irritated me because he was um he he was undersized. Yes, he was hard all the time. Right, he was really undersized. I didn't know he was that undersized until the combine results came out. I'm like, dang, he's six nine. And I remember how he played because I remember watching that Duke team. He was on that Duke team with Bagley, and he he played bigger than what he was in college, but that didn't really translate in the pros. And so he's on the team with Bamba. And I think for the Magic, they have a backcourt oversaturation and a frontcourt oversaturation. They got to – I think the biggest thing is Isaac and Fultz. What are they going to do with them? They're both injured. And they both gave them extensions. Fultz, before he got injured, Isaac, when he got injured. So they both got extensions, which means they want them a part of their rebuild. But I think you got to pull the cord on one of the two. I think Fultz probably has to go um, because. Pro- right. Not just size, but you're probably just going to have to take another guard at the five spot. Also, um, with Isaac, I like Isaac a lot, too. But, you know, health is an issue. And when he comes back, is he going to be the same player? So I, I think what it's going to come down to with the Magic, they're going to be a team where. 
they're probably going to pick a lame duck coach. And for the next three years, they're going to be bad. And I think people are going to be like, dang, the Magic suck. And they're going to be the, the joke of the town. But uh, I think a lot of the reason why they're going to be the joke of the town is because they don't have an identity and they roster. just It's just empty. It's like nothing there. Um, I like RJ Hampton. He's got potential. I like Cole Anthony. He's got potential. Um, they're going to get probably Jonathan Kaminga at the five spot. He has all-star potential. But you need guys that are going to be able to develop those players into a cohesive team. And I don't know if they have that. But I thought Darius brought up a great point. Orlando does have a history of big men. Shaq, Dwight, Vucevic. That's been their blueprint as a franchise. Get the big man, and we're going to build around him, which is why they got Bamba. And they've banked on that because it's like it's worked before. Even, it's going to sound funny, even when Glenn Big Baby Davis was there and he was the guy for like a year, a season. Yeah, that's that's their history. And so I don't I don't fault them for being like, man, we're going to get Bamba, and he's going to be the reason. It's just... That's because they didn't know Vucevic was going to have that year that he had. Exactly. Right. And Vucevic come out the woodworks, all-star season. Next year, just as good. It's like, dang, well, let's give him the extension. It's like, but you just signed Bamba. So I think this was the draft Orlando was so like. responsible for that man's career is what you're saying. Basically. Basically, yeah. Now. He needs to go somewhere else, honestly. He does. And I think Orlando was willing to move on because I think they thought, if we get the number one pick, we're going to take Evan Mobley, who is a phenomenal big man coming out of USC. I think he has Hall of Fame potential, but you get the fifth pick, so you have to take another wing, which means you kind of got to stick with Bomba for another year, which could be a blessing because now you get to see what he can do. But I think the big thing with Bomba is me and my dad was talking about it. I don't know if he likes basketball like that. I don't like I think it's something he's good at because he's tall. But I, I don't know if he's that in love with the game. And I think because of that, you can't – it's the worst thing that can happen. You're not in love with the game, and you're on a trash organization. <laughs> so no one's really going to hold you accountable to work hard and be better. And so that's, that's kind of where he's at in that situation. Orlando, I think, I think that's on 2K. When they say uh, Orlando's goal is to win a championship by 2030. I think that was on like 2K18. <laughs> so they know, they have to know that they kind of in a box. It's not really much they can do. I mean, a new coach can only do so much. And then that's, that's when disaster happens. You know, you, you get a coach over there and then he doesn't perform well with the team that you gave him, and now you're going to blame the coach and fire the coach and try to get a new one. Like, um, I want to say Sacramento, one Boogie, uh, one Boogie and Darren Collins were there. Yeah, Mike Malone coached with the – he coached the Kings. And this was when uh, Cousins was probably in, like, his fifth year. They were doing good, but I think the Marcus got sick or he got – either he got sick or he got poked in the eye or something. He was out. Oh, I'm saying, like, they had several different coaches during his tenure there. Right, but I'm saying Mike Malone was the guy oh. that they hit on, okay. but Boogie got hurt, and then they sucked, and then they blamed Malone for them sucking, and then they fired him. And now we see what Malone's doing with Denver. Not a huge Malone fan, but... And so I, I do think whoever gets the magic job, I'd ask, 
like, look, man, I gotta get, I gotta get like a six year deal, <laughs> like because this is a six year process. Right. Because if you expect me in three years to make this team into a playoff team, you're joking. I think this is like a four or five year rebuild. Now, as successful as Atlanta was, right? Like they in the playoffs. Um. When was the last, Atlanta last playoff run was 2017, 18. They went about four years, but they didn't make it. And now they're in it. And that was a process with Trey Young, Herder, Collins, Capella. Like that happened in the span of like two to three off seasons. And so for the for the Magic, the same thing's probably going to have to happen because unless they get a franchise caliber player, which they're not going to be able to do, that's what the rebuild is going to take in. Whoever was at the lottery that represented them looked super pissed that they was five in the in the draft because that's not what he signed up for. He was like, "We're gonna take and get the one spot," and you had five. So it's unfortunate. That's tough. And with that, wrap up episode twenty three. It was a good one talking with these guys on the podcast. Uh, before I go, I want them to comment on how the experience was for him, and uh, one of the biggest takeaways being on this platform today. Um, describe the experience. Um, it I was mean, great. I mean, I, I'm kind of used to the whole podcast. Right. I'm, you know, I'm new to this. This is my first time I've even, you know, just sitting here uh, talking about, you know, something live. Yeah. And it was actually a great, great experience. Yeah, I'm kind of used to the podcast and the experience, but um, the conversation is the, the key. You know, it's the one. So uh, because you don't kind of you don't get these kind of in depth conversations like this every day. And uh, one of the biggest, probably the biggest takeaway is uh, we had a lot of answers for a lot of questions today, but we. Couldn't answer the one about Orlando. <laughs> so Orlando is screwed. <laughs> For sure, man. I, I can agree on that as well. Um, I think Orlando, man, they're going to figure their stuff out in about five years. I mean, I, that's, that's that's really all you can say on that. But, you know, I'll be back, guys. Episode 24, we'll be back next weekend. It's great to talk to these individuals and be back with a new guest. And hope you guys enjoy this listen and enjoy this segment. And tell us out. Have a great day. Peace.